Hey, Mom Can't Cook listener, we're about to start this week's podcast, but before we do, there are still a few, a few tickets left available for our Halloween live show at the Prince Charles Cinema on the 29th of October. That's right. We've sold about 90% of the tickets. There's about 10% of the tickets remain. They've almost gone. But if you do want to come, there are a few still available. As Luke says, it's the 29th of October, 8.45pm kickoff. We are watching the Tower of Terror movie, the, the film adaptation of the theme park ride in which you get in an elevator and it drops you into the Twilight Zone. It's got Kirsten Dunst in it and it's got nothing to do with the Twilight Zone. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great evening. It's going to be, yeah, I I, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. So yeah. I'm trying to convince Luke to wear a bellhop costume. He is resistant, but I think we've got enough time to wear him down before the event. So come along and see that. How many days we've got? I'm just looking at the calendar. Yeah, it might be enough days to wear me down. Yeah, it might. It might. Maybe just the hat. And he's making a face that says, not just the hat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, other clothes as well. You can't just wear a hat. <laughs> that's not, yeah, pretty sure that's not covered by the... Uh, <laughs> by their insurance. By the event's insurance. <laughs> Go to tinyurl.com forward slash MCC Tower of Terror to get your tickets before they sell out entirely or get transported to the Twilight Zone. It has nothing to do with the Twilight Zone, Andy. I can't stress that enough. Don't set expectations that anything good will happen in this film. A man thought that something had nothing to do with the Twilight Zone. Little did he know that it did. Roll Phantom of the Megaplex. I'm a fish boy who skates for Team X blades with a leprechaun basketball come to my smart house meet my alien sister don't come hungry because i'll bet my mom can't cook hello everyone and welcome to mom can't cook a spooky decom podcast i'm one of your hosts angry scarant and with me is spook west awake oh west Okay, okay. When you started doing Simpsons Halloween Treehouse of Horror names, I was thrown into a blind panic because I hadn't thought of one. Yeah, well, that's I'm nice, so I thought but, of one for yeah. you. Thank you, Andy. Spook West Awake. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. West Awake. Mark Kermode is shaking his head. He's deleting the podcast. He's not going to listen oh, past Kermode, this point. Oh, Kermode, come on. It's because... Come on. It's because... What can you... What a spooky Halloween nickname can you make with Mark Kermode? You can't. Um, Mark Kermode. Dark Kerbones. Yeah, Kerbones. Exactly, he's jealous. And that's why he won't admit it. Dark Kerbones. <laughs> Dark Kerbones and Simon Gravo. <laughs> okay. The reason that we're talking about scary stuff is because uh, it is spooky season now. It's October. That's right. It has been spooky season for a month, but whatever. That's fine. Oh, okay, fine. Sorry. Yes, I forgot that Andy observes Halloween almost all of the year it's a it's yeah it's a quarterly thing it's a quarter of the year um we're talking about phantom of the megaplex today yeah a uh, a nominally spooky film and that is unbelievably mild on frights it's um yeah it's an an adaptation of uh the french novel le phantom de l'opera by mm. uh, gaston leroux i think the definitive adaptation probably yeah i think the, probably the best known adaptation yeah, Lloyd Webber wept when he saw Phantom of the Megaplex. He said, this is what, it's what I meant to make. Lon Chaney pulled his face off 
in real life. And that's why it looks like that in the film. <laughs> when he heard about the Phantom of the Megaplex, even though, that, even though it wouldn't be made for another 80 years. <laughs> he was like, there's no point in, film, in finishing this yeah. Universal Studios, but they insisted. Let's not bother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Is there anything that you... Well, well, I'll tell you what. Let's start with the promo, shall we? Okay, fine. Something's fishy at the Cotton Hills Megaplex. We must find out who was causing this chaos and make it stop. Is it Pete? Is it Karen? Is it a living person? <laughs> at all. Phantom of the Megaplex strikes again! Friday, November 10th. You need me to help you solve this. Disney Channel asks, who done it? Maybe you two guys have seen way too many movies. Phantom of the Megaplex, a Disney Channel original movie. I want him found. Phantom of the Megaplex, opening Friday, November 10th at 7, 6 central. Only in Zoom Weekends. So is there anything you want to get off your chest about Phantom of the Megaplex before we begin? Um, yes. This film is kind of a hard watch, I would say, um, because... Because of its quality. The kind of the primary emotion it seeks to evoke is like uh, stress. <laughs> it's yes. mostly like unbearable, uncomfortable, unpleasant stress is the sort of overriding theme of this film. Yeah, definitely. Um, if If... That's definitely a theme. Another theme is a sort of uncritical love of old of Hollywood. The movies. Of yeah. the movies, which of we the can... The silver screen. The, the silver magic screen. of cinema. Yeah, which we can dig into. Yeah, I which think is rich a solid coming yeah. from this film. I know. There's a solid premise in this film, I think, about everything going wrong in a megaplex and the hunt to find the phantom. The mysterious phantom. Who, who's causing it. But it, yeah. it is buried under so much nonsense and it is not spooky enough at yeah. all. And also, it doesn't make any sense. And also, there are too many films in this film. Yeah. Yeah, it constantly, evo- it constantly references films, but... For I guess for legal reasons or something, can't actually name any films at yeah. all. Well, it has to make up its own films. They've all got like ludicrously improbable names that no film would ever be called. Yeah, and it's and it gets more and more annoying the more they do it, and they do it a lot. Yeah. And as Andy says, no decom is famous for its plot. Every decom has plot holes, but this is the only one that like has a plot hole you could like drive a buick through you could drive is, a megaplex through you, you could n- you cannot miss it most most plot holes is a kind of like you go on imdb and it's like oh uh, if if neo uh, did, did this then how could morpheus yeah. possibly have known you know that kind of thing this yeah. is like everyone who watches this <laughs> at every age at every time <laughs> will will say hang on hang how on how did end? how did x do x yeah yeah we we will come to it in in i want in to get into time. great detail yeah. On on the the plot the the, the gaping wound mm-hmm. that is the plot hole in this film. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let let's start. So um, we get a. It's narrated obviously because all decoms have to be narrated. Yep. Uh, by the protagonist, uh, Pete Riley. He's seventeen. He works at a cinema. He's taught. We see footage of the old Phantom of the Opera film. Mm. Um, from the 1920s because it's probably out of copyright at this point. Yeah. Uh, and this guy is talking about how um. Uh, history is usually boring, but this history is about a cinema, so it's interesting, actually. Yep. Sometimes history can slam right into the present and totally blow your mind, Pete yeah. asserts. Uh, we hear about the first ever movie theatre in the town in which they live. It opened in 1925 and Phantom of the Opera was the first film. But uh, times changed and the movie theatre exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I think it's supposed to be being a controlled demolition. Oh, okay, but, yeah, that but makes what sense. The show is just the cinema. <laughs> the cinema, 
<laughs> cinema exploded. What, it's they? that old, you know, it's the old film. It's got like nitrate in it and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Just go up like a, yeah. Like yeah, anything. there was a rumour that an old faithful moviegoer got trapped inside when that theatre exploded. Some claim he survived. Yeah, right, says Pete. Anyway, a new theatre was built and it's f***ing rad. It has a Godzilla on the roof. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's enormous. It's called The Grand. Yeah. Um, but the, the legend grew, uh, Pete tells us. Every time something breaks in the Megaplex, they claim that it's the ghost. Yeah, they blame it on the phantom of the Megaplex. Mm. So this is Pete, as we say. He's 17. He works hard at the cinema. His mum says he works too hard, but she doesn't get it. He's the youngest assistant manager ever at this 26-screen Megaplex, and it's a serious responsibility. Well, it's a mind-shattering amount of responsibility for a 17-year-old to hold, don't you think? Um, I mean, cinemas basically run themselves. Do they? You Hang yeah. on, you worked at a cinema, didn't you? I did. I, I worked at a cinema when I was 17. <gasps> this, so I have first-hand knowledge of the world of this film. Oh my gosh. I was not the assistant manager, but, you know. It's fine. Or you, or you, they, okay, what I will say by, from my first-hand knowledge of working in a cinema is this okay. film doesn't show enough of people sweeping up screens after films are finished. That was the, what I estimate to be about 70% of the job. Uh, and there are, some, there are some messy customers in this film. Uh, right. Saturday morning uh, kids' showings, carnage. Oof. Ooh. absolute carnage we would have to rebuild the screen from the ground up after each <laughs> screening of shrek the third <laughs> just fire a flamethrower through the doors yeah yeah that was it that's gone bring That's in all new shrek. upholstery all new chairs yeah all new staff these ones are all <laughs> have been cannibalized thaw out some new stuff <laughs> yeah they're all in bags down in the basement when, when these little bastards see shrek they just they go nuts <laughs> they fall upon you with gnashing teeth <laughs> Writhing with claws. And, yeah. <laughs> Absolute disaster. So, uh, Pete has a mind-shattering amount of responsibility. We see him studiously cleaning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his mum doesn't get it. She probably thinks he should be in school. We see the senior manager, a man called Sean McGibbon. Yes. Um, we get a lower third on the screen in a sort of distracting font for some reason. <laughs> Implausibly named Sean yeah. McGibbon. Now, Sean is freaking out for the following complicated reason. Yeah. Oh, the my God. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. If you are listening to this podcast while you're doing anything else, yeah, you need to stop doing that. Just pay attention to this you bit. Just pay attention. If you're driving, pull over because you need to brace <laughs> yourself for an overwhelming number of characters yeah. and an overwhelming number of fake films, but mostly yeah. characters. I cannot believe how many characters this film has. It has so many characters and quite a complicated plot. So just engage cruise control, maybe steer with your knees if you can. Yeah, and just and just just give us your focus for a moment. I'm okay. going to keep count of the new characters as they're introduced. Right, we've had Pete. Okay. He doesn't count. He's the protagonist. Pete, Sean McGibbon, manager. Okay, the theatre owner Wolfgang Niedermeyer, Two. who is shown on the cover of Theatre Owners of America magazine, <laughs> which isn't a it can't be real. That cannot be real. Hands off to the publishers of this periodical <laughs> for managing to fill a magazine every month. Well, for managing to land the Wolfgang Niedermeyer cover. I, mean, I know, I know. Well, Huge story. I mean, the magazine isn't even about theatre ownership. It's about owners. Yeah, the so, theatre owners of America magazine. I imagine this isn't Niedermeyer's first yeah. cover. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a steamy pin-up of Wolfgang Niedermeyer. <laughs> so this Niedermeyer, he has scored a coup because a movie called Midnight Mayhem that was filmed not too far from the theatre last year. Uh, he's used his connections to get them to have the premiere right here at the Grand Megaplex. Great. 
So that's happening. Yeah. Next character, Ricky Leary, aka Ricky Rules. Three. No matter what you're doing, he's got the procedure for it. But don't <laughs> don't think about him because here's Terry Tortora, aka Scary Terry. She works in the cinema and always tells stories about how people die and stuff. It's the same actor who plays Amber Delacio in Mean Girls, if you like yeah. Mean Girls. Um, she's she's telling a story where some kids were doing a similar setup with um, some spotlights and the spotlight rolled backwards and they lost their fingers and toes and junk. So, <laughs> so you know, that is a scary story. That is a scary story. Okay, yeah. but don't ca- don't think about Terry. There's no time because here's Hilary Horan, a.k.a. Hilary Honey. She's a grandma in a teenage body. She makes sure people eat enough and calls them sweetie, etc. Shut up, there's no time. Mark Jeffries, a.k.a. question mark. He asks questions. <laughs> questions like... Who's Mark Jeffries? It doesn't matter because here's Lacey Ling, a.k.a. Racy Lacey. She talks fast, <laughs> but not as fast as Piers Pete. It's Pete again. Pete's back. And he's telling us about Merle. He's the head projectionist. Eight. He gives techno-speak answers to everything. Thinking about Merle, are you? We'll stop that because here's good <laughs> beloved actor Mickey Rooney, who's, who's in this film for some reason as a man called Movie uh, Mason. Movie Mason. Movie yeah. Mason. Movie Mason, he doesn't work here. He just thinks he does, explains Pete. Uh, he is essentially a, a very old man who wanders around in black tie bothering everyone. <laughs> he doesn't work in the cinema. He just hangs around the escalators and kisses the cardboard standees. We're told his family opened the original theatre that exploded. <laughs> he loves movies more than anything. And he has a hard time letting go, which is why he hangs around the escalators dressed in white tie and tails. I mean... It's hard to express what a what an odd movie this is for for Mickey Rooney to be in. I had to Google that this wasn't his final film because he is so old in this. Yeah, he's so old. I mean, if you're not familiar, Mickey Rooney is an actual icon of old Hollywood. He was a co-star and great friend to Judy Garland, and he was married to Ava Gardner in the early 40s. So, like, just to put it in like historic perspective, Mickey Rooney is like. You know, was one of those last links to that sort of golden age of Hollywood. Mickey Rooney is 80 in this film. Right. I think it wasn't his final film. He did mm. continue acting for quite a few more years after this. So that's because you would hate you would hate for this to be Mickey Rooney's last film. That wouldn't you know, that wouldn't be good for anybody. I feel like that must have been a sort of mental calculus Mickey Rooney had to do before accepting this film. <laughs> it's like went for a full screening and they're like, we think you've got a few more years in you, Mickey. And he was like, well, fine, I'll do it. I, well, and I've got I've got more respect for for Mickey Rooney then because it's a hell of a, a hell of a roll of the dice because you this would be a terrible final film. Yeah, exactly. That's why. Yeah, he must have he must have got checked out beforehand. And they're like, we think you'll make it to another film. Yeah, he, he's like, um, I lost count of new characters. We I think we were on nine or possi- possibly eight, eight or ten, um, something like that. My, uh, Mickey Rooney, movie Mason says my schedule and hands a bit of paper to Sean, the manager. Sean puts it in a bin right in front of his face and walks off. Yeah. But that's there's no time to think about that because there's another character, a girl called Caitlin Kerrigan. Oh. And that's a girl that Pete has a crush on. Uh, she has a friend called Lisa, just in case you were worried there weren't enough characters in this. Lisa contributes absolutely nothing to the yeah. story. And, and you know, that is fine. It's just that at this point, I really do expect everyone to be pulling some weight. Yeah. When you've got this many characters, they sort of... They need to have a purpose, otherwise, why are they here? Exactly. Uh, Lisa has no purpose, but she's she's introduced. Remember that, Lisa? She's here. Yep. So Pete has got her and her friend Lisa early passes into the premiere this evening, which we remind you 
It's the premiere of a movie called Midnight Mayhem. Midnight Mayhem. It's a very big deal for the Megaplex. Big coup scored by Wolfgang Nadermeyer, owner of the theatre, who we haven't met yet. We've just seen him on the cover of the magazine. Yeah. So tonight has to be perfect, Pete says. We cut to Sean giving a pep talk slash bollocking to his teenage staff. Yeah. And the extremely elderly movie Mason, who is not Who, who again, doesn't work there. <laughs> and is dressed... Like he's going to the governor's wall. He's Sean is explaining that tonight's careers will be made and broken. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't at that point give a significant look to, <laughs> to Mickey Rooney. But, to movie Mason. Yeah, but I think it's implied. He says, rise to my level or be gone, which is, you know, which is good. His cell phone goes, uh, it's Niedermeyer. Mm. Um, he's talking uh, to Niedermeyer and suddenly Sean's face falls. And he says, if you feel that your son-in-law is the best man for the general manager's job, then that's a decision I will have to respect. Probably could have walked off and had this conversation. <laughs> that's, the note, that's the note I have that for some reason he gets this bad news. And then instead of going, mm-hmm, yep, sorry, one second. And then sort of popping out to, yeah. he's just like, I think I'll stand in front of all of these teenagers yeah. who already don't respect me <laughs> and make sure that they know, A, that your son-in-law has taken the job I wanted and B, that I'm extremely upset. It's a brutal disgrace. What's that, Mr. Niedermeyer? I'm unsuitable for the role due to my many personality flaws. Wow. I could... <laughs> you wouldn't trust me to run a projector in my mum's basement, let alone a Megaplex? <laughs> wow, that's harsh, Mr. Niedermeyer. I, I wish you hadn't said it. And part <laughs> of me wishes I hadn't repeated it. In front of all these snickering teenagers. Let me just look around to see if they heard. Oh, yeah, they heard. Yeah. Oh, they heard everything. Oh, Mr. Niedermeyer, um, they're all frowning at me. <laughs> So uh, we'll see you tonight, he says through a mask of tears. Uh, <laughs> he twitches. He has lost all respect in the eyes of the teens. Yeah. He's going through the housekeeping for tonight's premiere. You're a good man, Pete, he says to Pete. You might go places in this organisation. And by the way, if anything goes wrong tonight, I'm throwing you under the bus. Hopefully a metaphorical one. Then everyone is dismissed. Next, we see uh, Pete driving home in a convertible VW Beetle. Well, the Disney Channel must have just got like a job lot at some point. A VW Beatles. VW Beatles. It's, yeah. it's weird. Uh, now, if only all of the plot that we've given so far was, was all you, of the plot. Was all of the plot. <laughs> and credits could roll. But no, we've got more plots and more characters. More oh important characters. because Pete So dr- many important characters. Yeah. Pete drives home. He's going to go back to the cinema in a minute. And you might think, couldn't he just have started at home and then go to the cinema yeah. and just do one trip? But no. <laughs> couldn't he have stayed at the cinema? Why does he go back and forth between the cinema during a single shift? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's like, he's working there first thing in the morning, goes yeah. home to have his breakfast, and then goes, goes back, back to the to cinema, the, goes back, back to have his lunch, goes back to the cinema. Are they not allowed to eat in the cinema? Maybe they've now, got no break room. I don't know about Pete, but uh, the cinema I worked in was part yeah. of a, a shopping mall. Mm. And um, we struck up a uh, sort of under the table deal with the Burger King and Sbarro Pizza next to the cinema, where we would let their employees into the cinema for free. And uh, they would give us free pizza and Burger King. And uh, oh. that was an arrangement that worked really well. Yeah. Until the Sparrow had to close because of the amount of free pizza we had. So. <laughs> How much free pizza does it take to close a Sparrow? Uh, every member of staff of the cinema eating a whole free pizza <laughs> every day, I think. <laughs> there was no dough left for paying yeah, customers. Pretty much, I think. Yeah. The manager of Sparrow is like, oh, I won't want to shut down this deal, but Shrek 3 is coming <laughs> out. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to make that Shrek pizza I've always dreamed of. Yeah. Um, okay, so Pete goes home and we meet his mom. Who is Xenon's aunt. Yes, Xenon's aunt. Uh, and we meet his sister. The sister is called Karen. Mm-hmm. They are having an argument about Karen having to babysit that night. Yeah. Do this to me! You tell me you want me to have a live swim, then I make plans with my friends, and then suddenly at the last second, you say you need me to babysit. I told you last Monday I needed you for tonight. Was I listening? Are you ever? What's up? Mom's going out with George tonight. Oh, I think you might finally propose. Why do you guys keep pushing this? You and George are great together. You're always happy when he's around. Oh yeah, you know what you should do? You should be like Gilly Blake and always a bridesmaid. Tell him how great you look in white. Ask him if he wants to play old maid, and then tell him you'll give him a ring when you get home. Does every reference in your life have to be from a movie? Why shouldn't it be? You sound exactly like the grouchy old dad in blank screen. Yeah, well, I just think it'd be cool if every once in a while you two lived in the real world. Boring. So we also find out that the mom is going out with someone called George. Um, Pete more speculates. Good. Yeah, more, yeah, great. Pete speculates that this George may propose. Um, the sister references a bunch of rom-coms and Pete is annoyed because uh, everything that the sister says is a movie reference. And then up walks the hitherto un- unseen brother called Brian, who says, man, you sound just like the grouchy old dad in the film Blank Screen. So everyone in this family is obsessed with films. Except, except Pete, the one who works at who a works cinema. cinema. He hates films. Yeah. The kids continue to put pressure on mum regarding George proposing. The sister says, as Wendy Dillon said in Maybe Baby, until you apply the headlock, he might never comply with wedlock. Wow. Which is just one of cinema's greatest quotes. Move over, (laughs) frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Comply with wedlock. (laughs) Until you apply the headlock. Well, dear, until you put this headlock on. (laughs) I simply wasn't going to comply with wedlock. Frankly, my dear, until you apply the headlock, I won't <laughs> comply with wedlock. Jesus. <laughs> um, uh. So uh, it's a weird trope in kids' movies, including DCOMs, this idea that kids are so keen to see their parents get laid. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's extremes, isn't it? It's either the up. other way around. It's either mum's got a date with a vampire kid not wanting it under any circumstances yes, yes. or it's this where they're, they're so desperate for their mum to remarry yeah because they're desperate to repair the walt disney nuclear family yeah um you know the the the, the walt disney natural state of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so uh yeah at this point is when i looked it up and i looked up blank screen i was like that's not a movie right and and no none of these movies are real because um the next film we hear about is um the brother asks if Karen and him can go and see <laughs> Farmer Brown Goes to Town. Uh, but the Karen wants to see a film called University of Death. Well, yeah, so Brian asks if he can see Farmer Brown Goes to Town. <laughs> Farmer Brown Goes to Town. <laughs> the mom is interrupted before she can reply to that, but I'm reasonably sure she, she would say no because it's a pornographic film. <laughs> and Brian is... Did, okay. Brian is okay. about eight. Okay, I'm glad... <laughs> You're glad, I'm, glad I'm, you said said, I'm glad you said that and I didn't have to say Farmer what? Brown Goes what? to Town the, the is clearly movie, a porn the, the movie. Farmer Brown Goes to Town. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Brian's, Brian's Brian wants to, to go to a different cinema. <laughs> Brian wants Brian. to head downtown to a different cinema and see Farmer Brown. Brian wants to go to is coin operated. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but Karen wants to see University of Death. 
So they compromise. This is mm. so, so unnecessarily complicated. So complicated. They compromise on a plan whereby yes. Karen mm. and Brian, the siblings, can go to see Farmer Brown goes to town. <laughs> then Pete will drive them home on his dinner break <laughs> because he eats all his meals at home. And once home, Karen will babysit Brian until midnight while Pete returns to the cinema to handle the big premiere. This seems like it's not a compromise for Karen in any way because her plan was, I want to go with my friends to see University of Death. Yeah. And they said, how about instead you babysit your brother at this porno Yeah, and then come home and babysit him at home? And they're like, well, that's not at all what I wanted in any regards. <laughs> I don't want anything. I don't want I don't anything want any, about this. Any part of this. I don't want to see Father Brown go to town. Go to let alone town. with my little brother. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, they, they introduce a, um, a character trait of the mom here and in the, the start of the next scene that they drop immediately where she corrects everyone's grammar. Mm. She corrects the sister's grammar. Yeah. And then at the start of the next scene, she corrects Pete's grammar. She's like, oh, and then, and then it stops. Him and I and whom. And then she just doesn't do it ever again. Yeah, I think they they thought we've got to give her something, and she, and they were like, maybe she can't cook, and then someone, yeah, was like, I don't know, are we overusing that? Seems like something someone would make a podcast about in the future. <laughs> it's like, what if she, what if she was a really annoying grammar pedant? You're yeah, like, that- oh, let's try it a couple of times. Nah, it's not really working for me. Or should I remove the previous two times she did it? Nah, oh, you're already filming it. <laughs> it's like, oh no, the backspace key fell off. <laughs> Oh man! Never mind. Oh no, a big car drove over it. <laughs> I can't put it back on now. It's all crushed. The backspace key falling off would is the only explanation <laughs> for like the, the way, way this, the film, this film turns out. <laughs> There's no way to go back. No, and say, or that they were filming it in real time. The the writer was literally yeah. pa- paper aeroplaning pages of the <laughs> script across the set. Just shout it. We'll say it. The mic won't pick you up. <laughs> Just leave a one second gap between each word. We'll edit the we'll edit the cap out. <laughs> Phantom of the Regaflex. Farmer Brown goes to I know he's not gonna say town. <laughs> he can't town. possibly. I'm already saying it. <laughs> so in, inside the house, Pete is eating. A gigantic mixing bowl full of cornflakes. Yeah, it's like a salad bowl full of cereal. Yeah, uh, it's not remarked upon, but no. I don't know. I mean, I guess he doesn't get to eat at the cinema, so maybe it makes yeah. sense. Um, so mom is distressed to learn that at work, Pete was up on the roof of the cinema securing big inflatables. Mm. But Pete doesn't mind. All he wants to do is work. He loves working at the cinema. Yeah. Uh, Pete is concerned that if he has to have his little siblings at the cinema today, they might make comments in front of Caitlin, mm. who you'll remember is the girl he has a crush on. He's he's scored her tickets to the premiere. And uh, yeah, so he doesn't want Caitlin to be in the same building as his little siblings in case they embarrass him. Yeah, that's right. Cramping his style. That's mm-hmm. what he's worried about. His mum, there's some talk of his dead dad. He loved movies. Maybe that's why Pete ended up there, she says. Uh, mum thinks he's putting in too many hours. She's worried he'll burn out before he's 30. Pete, on the other hand, thinks he'll get rich. I can guarantee neither of these things will happen. <laughs> this is the point uh, that the film, I feel like, needs to introduce some reason why he's doing all this working to get money. Because... Yeah, like something he's saving up for. Yeah, there's nothing... It's 
it hasn't been introduced that there's anything he's saving up money for. I mean, we are told later that he needs money to sort of try and woo Caitlin. But if, I feel like that needed to be introduced earlier because yeah. it's just like, oh, I'm working all these hours. And I've got this money, but I, I eat at home and don't spend it on anything. What would be and- a fine reason is that he loves movies. Yeah. And that's why he enjoys it's like it's not so much that it's he he likes the money, but he just really likes to be at the cinema. But he goes out of his way to explain that he sort of disdains movies. Yeah. It's so yes. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, um it turns out that Madison Ashley Metz is going to be at the premiere. Who's that? Dunno. Film doesn't really tell us either. Anyway. So Mom is excited for Pete. She's talk- talking about the premiere. Um uh, because Walmart. it's three names, Madison Ashley Metz, you know it's um, a decom writer's yes. idea of a sort of teen star. Yes. That's, that's the only context we have to go on here. What was the other it's one? It's another Terence Patrick McCormick. Terence Patrick McCormick. Yeah. Uh, so mom asks Pete if he's nervous. Pete replies, don't worry, we're pros at the cinema and we have it under control. Smash cut to the theatre where it's not under control. Sean McGibbon just heard on the phone that Craig and Randy are sick yeah. and Jenna is, quote, simply lost in the ozone. That's right. As a colonial freedom fighter, she's become <laughs> lost in the ozone. She's assumed her bubble form. And gone General, General Savant's attack ships amassing. <laughs> God. And she's simply become lost in the ozone. So she's yeah. gone. She's, she's a gas now. Sean McGibbon starts hiccuping because it's a thing he says happens when he gets nervous. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Rules is is moaning that because they're understaffed, all breaks have been cancelled, which is a violation of their union contracts. He says, "Remember that rules are his thing." Yeah. But with a persuasive hand on the shoulder, Pete comes up like a real scab and convinces him to forget about this and not make yeah. a fuss. Yeah. The idea of like adhering to a union contract is played as a sort of like real stick in the mud jerk, like yeah, poor work ethic kind yeah, of. Yeah. Like ooh. I like bureaucracy. I'm Ricky Rules. I like my <laughs> union contract uh, to be observed. Oh, I like to have pleasant working conditions. <laughs> yeah, the ghost of yeah. Walt Disney smiles broadly. <laughs> Not since silent approval <laughs> from hell. Uh, so the gang notes. So I'm, <laughs> sorry, I've just got a note here. I'm trying to figure out what kind of a movie Midnight Mayhem is. Um, there's a Pete's wearing a, a porno, button, but... I imagine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this theatre is a porno theatre, so I assume. <laughs> oh no, now every film is going to seem like... <laughs> no, so uh, Pete is wearing a button, like a badge that um, is for Midnight Mayhem. There's a dinosaur on it. Yes. And it uses the Jurassic Park font. How, how is that allowed? I don't know. <laughs> so I think it's supposed to be like... They're trying to make it like it's Jurassic Park, but as we'll see later, it very clearly isn't. Yeah, it, I think it's like a sort of big monster-style blockbuster. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's um, there's also a, a net for a balloon drop um, that's been set up. Sean set it up. We hear some spooky laughter. <laughs> we cut to um, the sister, Karen, secretly planning to go and see University of Death. She's on the phone with her friends. She's saying that um, her mum doesn't want her to see it, but... We teens see worse things on the six o'clock news, she says, like a normal teen would say. Not a 50-year-old decom writer. <laughs> um, Brian overhears this plan that Karen's cooking up and panics about being left alone in the cinema. Uh, he says, what if it's like Waldorf's Revenge, where a criminal takes a kid hostage in the cinema? <laughs> 
Yeah. Or what if it's like a flood and the place floods? Yeah, they've <laughs> flood a movie in which apparently a cinema floods yeah. and, a, and a small boy dies. Waldorf's Revenge, a film in which a criminal takes a kid hostage in the cinema. What a specific reference <laughs> you have to hand, Brian. <laughs> What if it's like Waldorf's Revenge where a phantom haunts the Megaplex? That feels like they should have called that film Phantom of the Megaplex. <laughs> no. So ultimately, um, Karen bribes Brian to come along with the promise of being taken in the future to see Power Penguins for Olympic <laughs> glory. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be like a Mighty Ducks rip Yeah, off, yeah. Right? We see a, we see like a, a standee for it later and it looks like yeah. a Mighty Ducks. Um, it's a bit weird though that sort of Brian is painted as this sort of you know a cinephile a yes. kind of a, an appreciator of, of the rare you know the cinematic arts kubrick lynch yeah. these are the these are the, the altars at which he a real prays. mini a real mini kermode this kid yeah exactly and now he's now he's like no i only want to see power penguins for olympic yeah. glory maybe it was directed by william friedkin <laughs> This is true. We cut to Movie Mason doing his job, which is standing at the bottom of the escalator telling people to enjoy the show. Yeah, he like his thing is he just sort of like will come up to you and bother you. Yeah. And 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 sort of sort of talk about the magic of the movies. Oh, the transformative power of the movies. Oh, the silver screen, it shows us the magic in all of us. And oh, you're, we can you're all gonna dream. have a great time. And it's like, I'm just trying to keep my kids quiet yeah. for two I'm hours. Just, I, buddy, I'm just here at the porno theatre to just... Yeah. <laughs> I just well, want to crank, crank my hog in peace. <laughs> oh, the magic of the silver <laughs> The magic of the, of the porno cinema. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you joke but he really does sing that later. <laughs> oh. So um we see we see kids in the megaplex lining up to try and pull a plastic sword out of a plastic stone. Um it's a sort of a promotional It's a promotional for stunt a, for, for Merlin on Mars, I think is the name of the movie. <laughs> so that's good. Um two bullies are here. <laughs> yeah. I mean they used, they used to have higher budgets, didn't they? So they did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, before the internet. <laughs> yeah, you'd have... <laughs> Merlin on Mars. Yeah. You'd have Merlin... Yeah, you'd have a... Ball. Merlin goes to town on Mars. <laughs> um, so, yeah, these so, two yeah. bullies are here. They're giving Peter a hard time. They heard Caitlin and Lisa were going to be there tonight, so they want to... Hit on them. The bully is called Donny Holly. Donny Donny Holly. Donny Holly. Improbably. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a 29-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, makes it very easy for him to bully Pete because he's yeah. so much bigger. Pete goes on a sort of self-pitying rant about why he hates Donny Holly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's handsome and rich. And he yeah. has this is why he needs the money. He has to keep up with Donny Holly. Yep. My whole life, Donny Holly's been like some dark shadow. In school, sports, girls. If I want it, he wants it. He's the one who usually gets it. Well, does he know that you like Caitlin, huh? I think it's just a coincidence he showed up tonight. Now I'll be working my buns off. He'll hunt her down, pour on some of his gross charm. I hate Donnie. You know, never worked a day in his life. All the girls think he's just so good looking. He has a totally perfect life. But you are so way sweeter, Doc. Since when does that count for anything? Now, girls like Caitlin want guys with decent cars, you know, money to spend on dates. I'm earning cash just to compete. That other voice you heard there, of course, was Hillary Honey, a character who you may as well forget exists. <laughs> yeah, she just does nothing. Um, yeah, so 
Yeah, Peter, Peter's ranting about Donny. He can't believe that this school child, Donny, has never worked a day in his life, unlike him. <laughs> He's busting his ass at the porno theatre. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the cinema is really busy and the staff are like are just drowning, basically. In, it, it's a high-pressure situation. It's incredibly stressful. They're trying to set up for the big premiere. For some reason, I can only assume because of Sean McGibbon's famous incompetence, even though he's hosting a big Hollywood premiere mm-hmm. that night... He's keeping the Megaplex open during the day. Yeah. They're only going to close it like 20 minutes before the premiere. Just yeah. shut it for a private event, my man. Yeah. For the, like, for the, after, if it's, if it's the most important thing that's ever happened to this Megaplex. Yeah. Ashley Madison Metz, or whatever her name was. Yeah. Madison Ashley Metz. She's going to be, like, picking her way around the ruined Shrek the Third <laughs> Theatre, trying to find a seat that isn't covered in ice cream and vomit. Yeah, exactly. And failing. Yeah. So, but for some reason, they don't, they like, they run the Megaplex at capacity, all screens going all the time mm. in the run up to this premiere. So they're trying to sort of run, run the Megaplex and they're trying to set up for this premiere, which sidebar, even if everything goes right, is going to suck because everything that they're planning and putting up is like, it, it's awful. It's like, it's like a child's birthday party. Yeah. Like this balloon drop that Andy mentioned. Like, ima- imagine a sort of Hollywood premiere balloon drop. Now, now stop imagining that and imagine it's like fifth birthday party balloons and there are sort of like 10 of them. Yeah. They've got a big wind machine. What? What? Why? <laughs> who, who at the premiere is, is excited to, to, have, to be fiercely to be, blown at? To be blown on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some, someone with an idea for, for spectacle is Movie Mason, who comes up to Sean at this point. And says, have you considered my idea to install a live organ in the cinema? In the porno theatre. Sean says, no, I'm not installing an organ, old man. You don't work here. Um, But Movie Mason sees that the two ushers are being overwhelmed by people trying to get into the cinema. And he says, "I I can work here for free and be a ticket taker. Movies are about magic, et cetera. Not commerce. Yeah. Uh, and he, he swells with pride as Sean puts a bow tie on yeah. him. He's let's, pathetically grateful. Let's have a tiny clip of that because we, we have to hear Movie Mason at, the, at, at, at this point. A man in crisis should not be burdened by irrelevant details. So you'd stand here and take tickets even if I can't pay you? Sean, movies are not about commerce, my friend. Movies are about magic. Is that a yes or a no? <laughs> if he wants to do it, Sean, let him. Not since I was made head usher at the solemn Gettel Sand Palace of Burlesque <laughs> has my heart been filled with such pride. In the name of the great Cecil B. DeMille, I will not let you down. So there's a couple of little scenes here. Sean's phone goes, it's Niedermeyer. He goes off to answer the phone. Uh, Mum drops Brian and Karen off at the cinema. And then we see the queues are now enormous because Movie Mason uh, won't let people into movies that he doesn't like. Turns out so he's... that this man who doesn't work at the cinema but lives there is not is not is not the the dream employee you hoped he would be. This walking rotten tomato meter is is refusing to let two men into whatever porno they chose. <laughs> so he won't let them in. Uh, yeah, he says that he he's basically what's weird about this is that he's telling these people that the movie that they've bought tickets to is. Sh- it would be more helpful if he would stand at the box office 
like as opposed to sort of being like i know you've already bought your ticket but i'm not letting you in because it's sucks it's like, he's yeah. like go see this instead it's like there's this other move there's this art house film they're showing yeah glimpses of genevieve he says they should go and see yeah glimpses of genevieve uh he says it's won all these yeah. awards i'm sorry you can't transfer your ticket you will need to buy a new one yeah of course uh, yeah well i mean look i mean if it's any mega like any megaplex i've been in you just go in one and yeah. then go you just the start other. the start the day at 9 a.m by 10 p.m. you've watched 11 films. <laughs> Great. So this angry man threatens to punch the 80-year-old Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Um, and he says, the magic of the movies is a treasure not to be taken lightly with a straight face in this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sean, the, the manager, comes over and yells at Movie Mason, Mason, here now! Kind of shouting at him a bit like he's a dog. Sean says that Mr. Niedermeyer has ruled that Movie Mason is an insurance liability waiting to happen, which is true. And he rips off the red bow tie that he placed on him only moments earlier. Uh, yeah. Movie Mason flips out and says that this is an outrage, which it isn't because he <laughs> doesn't work here, isn't being paid and did a bad job. <laughs> From the queue, though, Brian, little brother Brian, sees this happening and is, is incensed. He says, you can't treat Movie Mason like this. He's a legend. Mm. Um, in the background, there's a big promo display for Power Penguins for Olympic glory. Looks good. So from the standee, you can tell that it's about ice hockey, like Mighty yeah. Ducks. It doesn't feature penguins, but does seem to feature what look to me like anime mechs. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's why it looks good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so got movie to form up to defeat, to the, the, yeah. I don't know, the, I Puck can't think Law. of a single ice hockey team. Yeah, Puck Law, the, <laughs> the evil <laughs> king of pucks. So Movie Mason is fired from his unpaid ticket-taking job. He leaves confusingly. Um, Peter's with his brother and sister. He sees Caitlin. He goes over to her and her friend Lisa to say hi. The brother, Brian, trying to get some candy out of the candy machine, somehow snaps the front off it. And then up comes uh, Donnie Holly, who tries to fix it. But it then scatters gumballs everywhere. Everyone is sort of like slapstick slipping on these gumballs. And uh, Brian shouts, the Phantom of the Megaplex strikes again! of this thing that he did. <laughs> this, this problem he caused. Yeah. So it seems like all of these gumballs are going to be a problem. But thinking fast, Pete grabs a hockey stick from the Penguins display. Absolutely and... zero way there would be a real hockey stick in this standee, yeah. but continue. Uh, and in a, a sequence that is set to big band jazz, mm -hmm. he starts using the, the hockey stick to shoot the gumballs into yeah. a trash can. Slap-shotting them into a yep. uh, trash bin on its side. There are hundreds of gumballs. This is a terrible <laughs> way to clean. It's easily the most time-consuming way of doing this. Yes, uh, but everyone is cheering and loving it, and including yeah. Caitlin, who swoons, seeing, my God, what a specimen this Pete is, slap-shotting these gumballs. Well, the crowd are all applauding. He's cleaned up about three gumballs, but that that was just the window that Donnie Holly needed to seduce Caitlin, and he leaves with her hand in hand. Yeah, Pete turns around having cleaned up, yeah, like you say, three gumballs, and he's just waltzing off with Caitlin. Caitlin's like, yeah. la, la, la. The note that I have here, and I've put it in bold in my notes, so clearly I was feeling it very strongly, is when is someone going to die? <laughs> this is the point in the film where I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. Why am I just watching a lot of scenes of people being promoted and then demoted? Yeah. Why am I watching gumballs being cleaned up? In the Phantom of the Opera, by this point, someone had been hanged. Yeah. So, yeah. what's up? It, they, I mean, in Phantom of the Opera, they get the gumball cleaning scene out the way <laughs> get, in the first yeah. one minute. So, uh, yeah. So, Karen goes to set Brian up in his farm porno. 
Uh, and then she will join the other girls who are in the screening watching University of Death. Um, then there's some sort of confusing stuff. But there's a cinema sitter, which is apparently a position at this cinema. It's an old woman who goes around screens to check no one's doing anything wrong. Yeah, like policing the cinema? Policing the screens. So, so Karen is trying to sneak out of Farmer Brown Goes to Town uh, yeah. and into University of Death. Uh, and th- but she has to sort of do a bit of a bit of a stealth mission past the cinema sitter, who roams the halls like I guess just trying to find children who. Well, I mean, we had to do that. We had to do that at the cinema. Like you would do pre- periodic screen checks where you would pop your head in just to check everything was all right. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't like a specific position. It was just yeah. something you also had to do while in between <laughs> cleaning up the room and Shrek the third screens. Yeah. Um. But anyway, the cinema sitter is a thing in here. Uh, but thinking quick, just as the cinema sitter turns around, Karen dives into a standee display for a movie called You Think You're Down and Out, where you're yep. is spelt Y-O-U-R. Yeah. Um, How hard is it, folks? <laughs> meanwhile, Pete is flirting with uh, Caitlin. Yeah. He's just the... attempting to re-establish relations with Caitlin after her brutal uh, leaving with Donnie Holly. Yeah, so he's gone into the screen for the film that they're watching, which is some kind of disaster movie. We'll get to it later. He tells them that Jacob Johnson from Laughlin's Dream is going to be here tonight too. Uh, and he, in his position as assistant manager, might be able to arrange an introduction. Wow. How raw would it be to touch his hand, says Caitlin. She is aroused by Pete's raw power and bow tie. <laughs> um, however, just as all this flirting's going really well, bully Donny comes in and tells Pete to scram because there's a popcorn emergency that he's somehow heard about. Yeah. So Pete runs out and there is indeed a popcorn emergency. The popcorn machine is overflowing. The emergency is they've somehow invented infinite popcorn. Yeah, that's not an emergency. That's, I mean, congratulations, you're rich. Yeah. The markup on popcorn is is bonkers, right? It's bonkers, yeah. And also the fact that um, they say they put in the normal amount of kernels, but infinite popcorn is coming out. I mean, they've just solved world hunger. Yeah. Uh, provided everyone wants popcorn but everyone wants popcorn yeah this is great it's a staple yeah and it's rich in fiber they can't figure it out they try, they've tried turning it off it doesn't work uh pete unplugs the machine and uh the hope of a hunger-free world dies <laughs> dies. <laughs> dies with the hot, with the popcorn machine as it uh, as it turns off ricky rules dives for it saying no <laughs> <laughs> but it's already unplugged yeah, it's another one of the four second scenes in this movie because then something else happens. A woman comes out of the screening of Glimpses of Genevieve saying, we didn't expect the title to be so literal. It turns out that the film is sort of going in and out of focus and everyone yeah. is yelling. Uh, so Racy Lacey, as she's known, because she's always moving she's always race, fast. Racing around. Racing around. So Racy Lacey races in. And sees that, yeah, indeed, the uh, yeah the screening's gone all wonky and the, the film looks rubbish. One man screams extremely intensely in the crowd, Fix the projector! Yeah. Um, the note I have here is that this whole film is like a stress dream of like re- the retail and oh, God, service it's all, industry. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah, it's just like nonstop customers. Yeah, yelling at Pete. Yeah, just yelling, yelling trying, at these children. Just trying his best. Yeah. Really trying his best. I don't like it. It's too real. No, it is. Um, um, so Pete, uh, he kind of has to go to the front and explain the problem. Brian says, it's not an accident. It's sabotage, just like in Judson's Revenge. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> Judson's Revenge. Yeah. Oh, we should mention uh, as well here, uh, because Pete has had to go in and check on Brian, yeah. we do get a two-second glimpse of Farmer Brown Goes to Town. <laughs> and it is 
very obviously a porno. We see an extremely chiseled man uh, in, in in overalls. In overalls, covering something not, on the back of a flatbed truck with blue tarp. Not the cut. Not the character from the movie Standee, which we see later. Yeah, there is no. a very, very a much less handsome Farmer Brown. Yeah, this is no. This is this this is a this is a hot farmer. Yeah, this is a hot. Yeah. Sexy farmer. Uh, so yeah, and he and he goes to the front of the truck where a uh, a woman is is sort of sat there, and he says, "No matter what happens, baby, I want you to promise me you'll stay right here." And she sort of like pouts a bit. Um, it, I think this actually is R rated. This movie, it's like <laughs> it's definitely not got sort of I don't know home on the range sort of Disney. No, well, it's kind of you know how you can like in The Simpsons you can piece together the whole McBain movie. Yes. I think you can sort of infer what the plot of Farmer Brown goes to town is yeah. and he has killed someone and covered them in a tarp in the back of his pickup truck. I think it's <laughs> pretty clear what's going on here. Uh, when does it get sexy? <laughs> so, Brian thinks that the Phantom doesn't like these big Hollywood productions coming into his home, the the Megaplex. First the candy machine and now this. The candy machine was Brian's fault, but he's trying to shift the blame onto this phantom now. Yep. This isn't an accident, you know. It's sabotage, exactly like in Judson's Revenge. I thought I told you to stay in your seat. I'm just trying to help, okay? See, I'm betting that the phantom of the Megaplex doesn't like you bringing a big Hollywood party into his home. Brian, hey, don't start with me, okay? We have 26 screens here. Things are always going wrong. Yeah, but all in one night, I mean, come on. The candy bin crashing down and now this, this focus thing. Yeah, you don't even know about the maniac popcorn machine. See, in Judson's Revenge, the guy, Kevin Eastman, see what happens is he thinks he's been cheated by this big power company, but no one will listen to him. All right, he has to enough. Know. Okay, get back to Farmer Brown now. Okay, but I'm telling you, sabotage. So en route back to Farmer Brown goes to town where he has been sent by his <sighs> big brother. Sure. Um, Brian hears a ghostly chuckling yep. coming from nowhere. Sort of <laughs> he spins around a few times in panic uh, and then runs away and the camera crash zooms in on a cardboard standee of a man who is definitely not Farmer Brown, but it is the standee for Farmer Brown goes to town. Yeah. And organ music rises to fever pitch and we see sinister glowing eyes appear behind the eye holes of the How? Farmer Brown standee. How? How does this happen? Look. Just, it's, a, it's a two-dimensional cardboard cutout. The eyes appear. Yeah. You would be able to see the person <laughs> crouched behind it, but you can't. You would be yeah, so, it's 2D. At the point where the eyes appear, you would be you like first you would see some hair. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's not like it's like I say, it's a 2D cardboard cutout. If some eyes appeared and you walked past it, you'd see a man standing there with his face up to the cardboard standee. Yeah, I mean, there would be... It's about... not like a painting in a wall. You're not in a secret passage behind it. There'd be like one frame of animation where you were, where it would look like the eyes of the standee were moving and from yeah. every other angle. Uh, also, you have depth perception. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be quite clear that there is someone crouched behind this big cardboard Farmer Brown. Well, if it made me furious. I mean, it's not the most annoying thing about this happening because, like, as we're going to see, absolutely none of the mysterious happenings in this film make, make any make sense Make a whatsoever. lick of sense. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to it. So we check in on University of Death, the screening that Karen's in. Karen won't stay in this film. She keeps going off to check on her brother, but he's yeah. not there in the Farmer Brown screening, obviously, because he's running around the cinema. 
Um, they're doing. They're trying to get a thing going where the sort of the situations in the film match the situations in real life. So the thing where Farmer Brown was telling the woman to stay in the car. It's now at a scene where the woman has left and Farmer Brown's like, I told her to stay right here, just as Karen is like, I told Brian to stay right here. It's a sort of, they've tried to do a sort of literary technique thing, but it hasn't really worked. And it's just sort of annoying and confusing. Yeah. And, and also does, like, doesn't happen enough to sort of stick. To sort of establish it, it as a yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, a bit like the a bit like mom's grammar and yeah. know, other stuff. <laughs> yeah, again, yeah. that backspace key, it's on order, <laughs> but it's going to be weeks to get it from the warehouse. They say it's a, they say it's a special make. <laughs> Compaq only made one of this Palm Pilot, <laughs> on which I typed Phantom of the Mega <laughs> Which shows... Yeah. So back in the lobby, Ricky Rules is now fielding phone calls from Niedermeyer. And I know what you're thinking. Why is someone as lowly as Ricky Rules yeah. fielding calls from Niedermeyer? Well, it's because Sean, the manager, has disappeared. Uh, yeah, um, Ricky can't understand it. He's, he thinks it's strange that Sean would disappear despite being publicly humiliated earlier. Yeah, and despite uh, this his job, job is his... being unimportant. Yeah, this job is his life, he says, or it was until he was publicly humiliated earlier. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's a movie called Cut to Black and the lights in it are going berserk. The lights are apparently tied into the same computer system as the projection from Glimpses of Genevieve. The projectionist is also missing Merle, you'll remember from earlier. Yep. You know, Merle, one of the 16 characters introduced in the 10 second span at the start of the movie. He's so, missing. So the question becomes, where's Merle? Where could Merle be? How can a whole computer program go into spontaneous meltdown, Pete muses. Yeah. Um, and Brian, who is just sort of is there, there now as Pete well, all of a sudden says, like I said, sabotage. Uh, he says that Sean is still missing, um, but there's simply no time to stay on that scene. We see Terry and Lacey exit the staff room talking, only to see a mysterious figure in a cape laugh and then sort of swoop his cape and run off <laughs> and like yeah. well, well past round a corner yeah uh meanwhile in the projection room um we merle is actually up here he's examining the hardware he can't figure out what the hell is going on he speculates that this is someone's deliberate attempt to ruin our big night yeah um but he's going to try and fix the projection he's going to try and fix the fix the sound um pete uh leaves merle there and goes to try and calm the baying mob just close the cinema. Yeah, I mean, again, for so many reasons. Yeah. But also now for these reasons. Look, if I, I mean, look, I know I'm not workaholic Pete who just loves working and loves his job as assistant manager in the cinema. But if I worked in the cinema and my boss went AWOL, I'd be like, folks, I'm leaving. Leave as well if you want. Yeah. Bye. Uh so I wish I wish you could all see your films. But unfortunately, uh, we've had a slew of technical issues. Um it's just not happening tonight. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, you'll all get free passes for another day. Yep. Everyone get out. Everyone you get out. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, exactly. Lacey explains uh, the figure in black, which cements Brian's theory of a phantom. Mm -hmm. uh, Hillary says that a fog machine was delivered and has now gone missing. Also, no one has gone to get the velvet ropes out of the basement. I've just written uh, so much is going on in my notes. <laughs> yeah. Which is. I think is a sort of like a bit of a white flag from me. Oh, at this point yeah but pete so pete descends into the basement of the cinema oh. to get the velvet ropes and he finds sean gagged and tied to a chair his arms tied behind his back bound behind the chair yeah. his mouth gagged, gagged with, with electrical tape. tape um sean they, they take the they take the duct tape off and sean explains what happens what happened yeah. i don't have a clue i uh 
I came down here to get these ropes. Someone shoved me from behind, held me down, tied my hands, put tape over my mouth before I saw a thing. Dun dun dun. So, even though Sean has been attacked in his place of work and sort of like yeah. knocked out and kidnapped, he goes straight back to work, uh, showing. I think. Well, I, I, I know what you were you're thinking is, you know, I mean, this this phantom is clearly Sean because he was humiliated in front of the staff and he, you know, yes, he got passed over for the promotion and but, now he wants yeah. to sabotage the cinema. But yeah. now, but the film knows you were thinking that, so they've shown you this scene, so you realise, ah red herring yeah. it cannot have been sean because he's a victim of the phantom yeah so this is classic like eliminating suspects thing yeah. i mean for sean to now be the phantom he would have to have duct taped his own mouth and tied himself into a chair with his hands behind his back so eliminate sean from your list of suspects so yeah sean goes straight back to work instead of calling the police uh outside the theater he rallies his troops he he's, says he's kidnapped <laughs> assaulted he's like well Man, I'm running behind after a guy got kidnapped. You're I better get back to it. You walked into a room and you found your boss like bound and gagged, and he was like, "I was knocked unconscious by an attacker." Anyway, that's put us really behind on this. Who's <laughs> behind this schedule? Yeah. Oh, uh, he'll be like, "Is is the attacker still in the cinema potentially?" Yeah, but that's exactly what Sean is worried about because all of these things are going wrong. Uh, he says there's only one hour until the premiere. We must find out who's doing this. Mm. Um, heading back uh, inside in, into the cinema because this sort of this like pep talk took place on the street. Um, they bump into uh, Karen, mm. uh, but the escalators start going haywire. Yeah, um, that you know they're sort of go going like up and down and going all over the place. It's just another thing going wrong. Another thing going wrong. Yeah. Um, Pete sort of runs up the the wrong way on an escalator. Um, doing that in the cinema when I worked there is how I pierced my kneecap. Oh my god! So I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. So wait, you were running up a down escalator? A down escalator, yeah. <gasps> I tripped and landed on. You know how they're all spiky yeah, on yeah, the edge. They've got yeah, yeah, little spiky teeth. Yeah, I thought one. I was, and yeah, I was like, oh, I'm fine. But then later on, there was loads of blood. So <gasps> did you get to go home? No, <laughs> because I <laughs> because we were behind schedule. <laughs> Oh and I did, God. you know, I didn't blame it on the Phantom. I just got on with it. Um, so Pete says to Brian, go back to your movie. Um, they cut to uh, Brian and Karen discussing if they should solve the crime or not. Uh, the brother says, remember what dad said? If you pay attention, movies can teach you about life. Such a weird thing for the dad to have said. Well, it's also an extremely obvious thing to say. It's like when you think about it, events can teach you about stuff. Yeah. If you think about it, movies are, are stories. Yeah, if you think about it, stories can tell you things. Yeah. Well, yeah, Dad. Obviously, and maybe he said this towards the end. This <laughs> <laughs> is like in and out of consciousness. <laughs> Brian, come closer. Brian, come closer. If you think about it, Brian, movies could teach you a lot. If you think about it, Brian, purple monkey dishwasher. Yeah. If you think about it, Brian, you ever seen The Godfather? That's how I learned you don't mess with the mob. <laughs> Promise me you won't Promise mess with me the mob, Brian. Promise me you won't mess Brian. with the mob, Brian. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's happening. So, in, in talking, Brian and Karen have this eureka moment and they realise that the troubles that have been happening in the Megaplex yes. match the movie titles. So, for example, Glimpses of Genevieve, it was all going out of focus. Yeah. In the movie Cut to Black, yeah. it was... Cutting to black. 
Yeah. Uh, University of death. Everyone died. Everyone died. Everyone graduated. <laughs> and then died. <laughs> so Farmer Brown goes to town. Everyone was just... Everyone went to town. to town on each other. <laughs> they didn't show that, but we have to assume. Yeah. That's what was going on in there. <laughs> so they want to figure out where the Phantom will strike next. So reasonably... Um, they they decide that they've got to figure out like what other movies are showing. Yeah. But before they can start making any deductions, they hear screaming. Someone runs up. Run for your lives, children! It's a tornado! Screams a, a punter at this cinema in a weird British accent. Yeah. She um, goes because run for your lives! It's a tornado! It's a tornado! So in yeah. the screening of Cyclone Summer, yes, uh, which is the screening that Caitlin is in, a wind yes. machine. Uh, it has it's a been large turned fan. on at the front. Uh, yeah, a great big fan. Now, 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 everyone in that theatre, yeah, would have seen someone wheel in a large clanking wind machine, <laughs> then run its power cord to the wall, come back to the Plug fan, and turn it on. There is there are like three hundred people all facing the screen. Yeah, and this thing is in front of the screen. It's six feet high. <laughs> And it's like, it's it's on... It, it was in the lobby, this wind machine. Yeah. So he's had to drag it through all Clunked of the corridors. Clank, probably, clank, up some, clank. probably up some stairs. This is a multi-level multiplex. Yeah, in a lift or something. And then... It wouldn't fit in a lift, Luke. He's got to wedge that on the escalator. <laughs> he's taking it up in a cherry picker outside. So then... So you're sat in Cyclone Summer. How absorbing is this film that in your peripheral vision you see someone like wheeling in an enormous wind machine? Think, oh, that's odd. That's unusual. Well, it's, the strangest thing is that no one, everyone's reacting to it like they don't see the wind machine. Like mm. the woman who flees the theatre is like, it's a tornado. Yeah. And everyone else is sort of like rolling around on the floor. I would come out and say, excuse me, uh, is there someone in charge here because some head has just turned on a wind machine in <laughs> a man for the past 15 minutes has been yeah. laboriously setting up a wind machine a hunched figure in a big crushed velvet cape has been, <laughs> has been programming cackling. a wind machine cackling to himself <laughs> setting up a wind machine I mean I tried to ignore him and enjoy the great movie but also it's it's the world's most powerful wind machine yeah uh, it's like popcorn is flying through the air, people are almost getting like ca carried away by the force. Yeah, Pete runs at the fan to try and unplug it, but he's blown back into the seat. He's like pinned to his chair. Force. At which point, this is a point where I asked, "Hang on, they were going to deploy this device in the premiere." <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Ma Ashley, maybe for crowd, for crowd control to keep back the Ashley, undesirables. Ashley Addison Metz is going to be sort of blasted into. Terence Patrick McCormick is going to like team rocket. <laughs> Fired into the stratosphere. <laughs> I mean, all publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> Madison Ashley Metz killed at premiere <laughs> by a huge wind machine. You might say the cast was blown away. Oh, what? I'm going to jail. <laughs> Madison Ashley Metz blown into traffic. <laughs> she had to wear that big dress. It caught the wind. She had to wear that cape. <laughs> The Batwing cape carries her off. Oh, man. Okay, so... So, yeah, they, I, I just... This is the most accommodating cinema audience in history. They sat quietly while the Phantom of the Megaplex dragged an enormous industrial fan into their theatre, yeah. plugged it in, turned it on, and then ran out cackling. Now, at this point, you're thinking, could there be more things happening in this film? Well, good luck, because we now cut to Mom and George. 
Well, okay. Pete does save everyone from the fan. He oh, yeah, that's it. right. It's important right. to mention that they're not trapped there forever. Yeah, he, he, tur- he the turns the fan off. Yeah. Uh, we now cut to Mom and George, who are having a bad date. Um, mm. They can't find a table anywhere. They see some potted plants on like a, a, a windowsill outside a restaurant and mom kind of starts to draw out this weird labored metaphor about potting plants. They're trying to sort of figure out whether it's about marriage. It's yeah. about marriage. George says he's not afa- afraid of repotting to put plants together, but you just have to take it slow. And then mom's pager beeps. Uh, it's Pete calling from the uh, lobby payphone because he needs mom to come and pick up Karen and Brian because things yes. are going so wrong, he cannot get away to drive them home. Well, yeah, all breaks have been cancelled because um, Sean, the manager, was uh, assaulted and kidnapped. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would mention so that now everyone's, everyone's dinner break is cancelled. <laughs> Dinner's cancelled because of kidnap. Yeah, uh, so yeah. she's, she's going to go and um, pick up the kids, or is she? Because her car won't start. Yeah. Um, the Phantom. You can't blame maybe. that on the Phantom. Well, could be, couldn't it? Car won't start. I mean, it makes about as much sense as anything else. As the everything Phantom else. Does. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, okay. Sean thinks that Movie Mason is the Phantom. Um, Brian yes. disagrees. Karen thinks that he's the sweetest person who ever lived. Um, Sean says, he's our Phantom and I want him found. So that's Sean's current theory yeah. is that Movie Mason is the Phantom. Movie Mason is the Phantom. Riley. It's Movie Mason, our so-called Phantom. Think about it. He's ticked at me for having tossed him out. He's never gotten over the fact that he doesn't still own this place. What better revenge than ruining our biggest night? Mason would never do anything that mean. Movies are like, like, sacred to him. In my opinion, that crazy old coot is capable of anything. You don't know him at all. He's like the sweetest person that ever lived. Why are these small people talking to me? Guys, will you just cool it? All right, this doesn't concern you. It does if he's going to go around bad-mouthing Movie Mason. Yeah. I am telling you, he is our phantom. And I want him found. So Pete is checking with staff to see if anyone's seen Movie Mason. Uh, One guy uh, on the staff says that he thinks he saw him. Um, He said that he forgave Sean and then he bought a ticket to Merlin on Mars. Uh, Presumably in that auditorium, everyone is like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall. (laughs) Their eyeballs. Rolling around. Their eyeballs boiling out of their heads. The Phantom has created a perfect vacuum. Well, it would be easy. (laughs) He just switches the wind machine to reverse. It sucks all the air out. That's true. Sucks all the air out and everyone dies. Yeah. Um, For some reason, it was late at night when I wrote down Merlin on Mars, I wrote in brackets, round table, red planet. Because I guess I was... (laughs) I guess I was trying to pitch was Merlin your on Mars to myself. Yeah, tag- tag- yeah. Um, so next to the yeah, so Pete has sent his siblings down to sit on this uh, this blue bench. Um, next to this blue bench where uh, Karen and Brian are sat, Brian finds Movie Mason's work schedule, which remember yeah. is this piece of paper that every day he brings to Sean. We saw um, it thrown in the bin earlier. Brian yeah. retrieves it from that bin. Exactly. Um, he, he looks at it. He reads something. He's shocked. And then he runs to ask Hillary where Movie Mason takes his dinner breaks. I wouldn't have thought that Movie Mason gets dinner breaks because he's not <laughs> an employee. He doesn't work there but he, and doesn't get breaks. But Hillary says that the answer is he always takes his dinner breaks in the basement, which, I mean, sidebar, is unbelievably bleak. Yeah. He lives in the cinema and eats dinner in the basement. <laughs> dinner in the basement. <laughs> So, yeah, so Brian and Karen head down uh, towards towards the basement. Um, while they're looking down the stairwell, however, they briefly get a glimpse of the caped phantom. Yeah. And an echoing, <laughs> again. Karen is afraid of this uh, laughing phantom, but we can't bail now, says Brian. 
This is just like Officer Bean, talented teen too. <laughs> Officer Bean. Officer Bean, talented teen too. <laughs> Bean, you're so talented. You're going to make Officer. <laughs> but me, but I'm just a teen. But I'm just a teen too. After the events of the previous <laughs> Officer Bean movie, I didn't think you'd make Officer Officer Bean. But guess what? You have. You have. You have done it. <laughs> you have done it. Well done. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> so, in the basement, Brian and Karen, the younger siblings, they spot a glowing light at the end of a corridor. They explore. It's creepy. They emerge into a terrifying room filled with old props and models. Happy mache beef eaters. Yeah, a big clown face. A big clown, big plastic beef eater. Why? <laughs> what? Doesn't matter. Um, in this room, Brian moves a dusty piece of cloth covering a grating, mm. and through Ooh. it he glimpses a wondrous room lit with golden light. A secret lair. It's full of furs, stars on ceiling, lights, an old Hollywood ephemera. Yep. But before you get too lost in wonder, yeah. here's a scene where mum calls the theatre, is told that her kids aren't there. Mark Jeffries goes off to try and find them. And then Lacey hangs up the phone. Anyway, back to the room. End scene. End scene. Back to the wondrous room. Yeah. I like this scene because the old Hollywood basement room gives me like FMV game vibes. Such FMV. There's so yeah, many yeah, clickable yeah. things in it. Yes. Cl- you, you can know click on this, so yeah. many of these things. Clickable th- You're going to have to bring things back to this room and combine them with things yeah. that you find. Karen says, are you sure Mason can't be the Phantom? Of course, says Brian. Then what about this? Says Karen, <gasps> pointing to a movie poster for Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> well, that, that hasn't changed <laughs> my mind overly. Yeah. That's a movie poster for a... An 80-year-old movie. Yeah, but here's an 80-year-old man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Mickey Rooney. He was a baby phantom. <laughs> at age zero, he did his first one. He did his first phantom again. <laughs> he couldn't do much. He just sort of rolled, rolled out of the rafters. <laughs> he went. But it was enough in those days. It was before... <laughs> It was before the Chucky films. <laughs> we found it scary at the time. <laughs> you have to remember this. Was, we were scared of like trains on films. <laughs> yeah. So a baby. So a rolling baby. An unexpected baby unexpected. rolling at you. A baby at the opera. That's not allowed. My heart, my heart f***ing stopped. <laughs> Let me tell you. So uh, anyway, as they are looking at this poster, all of a sudden they hear a voice from behind them. Yeah, the phantom's face on the poster morphs into movie Mason. Hello, children, he says. I see you've discovered my little hideaway. (laughs) I see you've discovered my little hideaway. You you left the light on. Well, that's what happens with old age. Liver spots come. Mine goes. Mason, do you know what's been going on around here tonight? Crazy projectors, flashing lights, um, indoor tornadoes. It's not you, is it? You're not the Phantom of the Megaplex, right? Children. 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 When we arrive in this world, magic is all around us. You 
you simply have to see a baby discover a butterfly or a toddler splash in the bath for the first time. Yet, as years pass, simple pleasures aren't quite so simple to find. Myths and legends fall away. Santa's secrets are revealed. Card tricks lose their fascination. True wonder is harder to come by. But there's always magic at the movies. Pirate ships, bicycles that fly, angels earn their wings, beautiful women marry handsome men. And we all learn there's no place like home. So he's he's explaining that when we are, arrive in the world as babies, there's magic all around us, magical things like bathing toddlers and such. <laughs> but simple pleasures get harder to find as you grow older. But there's always magic in the movies. Um, so this <laughs> Look, is this. I don't want to sound harsh. Why is anyone taking seriously the rantings of an elderly <laughs> man who lives, eats, <laughs> sleeps? And in the basement of a multiplex staffed by teens and emerges every day in full coat and tails to bother all the customers. And they, it's, it seems like they can't get rid of him because it's like they're, they're worried that, I don't know, he might get injured as they force him out and this, he'll technically get injured on cinema property or something. He lives in the basement and he's eaten nothing but popcorn, nachos. And rats he uh, finds. Roller, roller hot dogs and Sour Patch Kids for the last 20 years. <laughs> he, he's actually 25 years old. <laughs> also, this whole monologue is in response to them asking him if he's the Phantom. So if I said to someone, are you the Phantom of the Megaplex? And he responded with a long monologue about the magic of cinema. I would be like, I notice you haven't said no. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something that the Phantom of the Megaplex would say. <laughs> But no, he yeah. says he says that to shatter those magical moments is a sin so grave as to be almost incomprehensible, proving that he cannot be the Phantom. This is the actor who um, portrayed Mr. Yunioshi in Breakfast at Tiffany's, oh. uh, one of the most racist caricatures in cinema history, let's not forget. Yep. Before you go on a big rant about the magic of cinema, Mickey Rooney. Well, I mean, I want to come back to this question of the magic of cinema, but I think the time to do it is later when Mickey Rooney sings a huge song about how great Hollywood <laughs> is. Christ. So I want to keep some powder dry. Yeah. Also, there's no, there is zero way this amount of real estate in the basement of a busy city centre megaplex is not full of big silver bags of sweet popcorn. Yes. It's not, there's absolutely zero. It, they've got barely any room in the cinema as it is. That cinema is out, that basement, they're not going to let a weird man live in it. Yeah. It's like, oh, he he owned the land. Is it supposed to be that he owned the land that the cinema was built on? Because his family owned the previous cinema that exploded. But did he like, still? does he still own the basement? I, I don't think there's any agreement in place. I think he's just tolerated Right. I think like I think it would be more work to get rid of him. Like asbestos. Well. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. But you know. It's more dangerous to remove him. Accidents happen, don't they? <laughs> a big 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 clown could fall on someone. <laughs> a big papier mache beef eater could fall on. <laughs> also, they find his hideout because Brian sort of lifts a raggedy old piece of cloth that looks like Gollum's loincloth. Like to reveal a great. So, I don't think they know he lives down there. Maybe is is movie Mason sort of crawling through the vents? <laughs> is he a tombs like figure? Tombs-like. Yeah. 
Movie Mason is incomprehensible to me. It's a cinema cryptid. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Um, so, back in the lobby, now that we've established once and for all that neither Sean nor Movie yeah. Mason. Now can that be Movie the Mason point blank questioned if he is the Phantom or not, responded with a long. <laughs> with a long monologue about bathing children. <laughs> he, now he's in, now he's, that that's happened. As innocent as the day is long. Back in the lobby, Sean's gone missing again. <laughs> Everyone is clearing out the screens now, ready for the big premiere. Yeah, they're almost empty. Martian Mountain still has 10 minutes left. It's a different movie to Merlin on Mars, apparently. Martian Mountain. Martian Mountain and Merlin on Mars are different. Oh, maybe it's like how... Deep Impact in Armageddon. Deep, and Armageddon. Of course. Bugs Parallel thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two Mars movies in one year. Exactly. Um, a woman in a yellow suit walks in. Um, she asks to see the manager. She's Tori Hicks. Uh, no one's heard of her, uh, but she has Madison Ashley Metz outside in her limo. Good to meet a new character though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, a new character. Yeah. Um, wanting to know when everyone will be getting this painfully amateur show on the road. Yeah. She says she's turned up early for the premiere and is mad that things aren't ready. Yeah, so she threatens to take all her clients back to LA. She's just there to sort of give like an air of, she's just there to like add stress to the film. She's like yelling at these teens being like, why haven't you, why isn't the premiere ready? And it's like, yeah. well, there are a bunch of teens in red bow ties. Yeah. Also, it's not the time for the premiere because the films are still going. Yeah. So, so. it's, I can't believe they're showing films in the day. It's like if you were getting married at 1 p.m. Yeah. Being like, well, I'll work in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'll work till 12.30. Yeah, I'll work till 12.30. 12 to 12.45, quick sandwich. Yeah. Uh, and then, Quick salad bowl full of cereal. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then back to the chapel. Anyway, there's another calamity because Donnie Holly, the bully, has pulled the sword out of the stone and he wants the free passes that you get when you do this. Yes. Um he's 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 making trouble. He's refusing to leave even though everyone he has to leave. He wants to stay for now. the premiere as his prize instead. Yeah. Um Pete squares up to f to fight him. But the fire alarm goes off. A bunch of drenched people are leaving. The fire sprinklers went off probably in a screen showing rain man or something. It's floodgates. Oh, that's it. Okay. The, yeah. It's showing floodgates and everyone has left because they're Floodgates wet. to me sounds like a like a political thriller. Yeah. Or a porno. Yeah. <laughs> The thrilling political porno. <laughs> yeah. Like the parallax view, but with more getting it on. Yeah. So, <laughs> the pelican brief, but with more pelican, pelican briefs. Pelican briefs. <laughs> the pelican's briefs. Andy, there's got to be something more fashionable I can wear than this large crushed velvet cloak. Mm, have you considered pairing it with a featureless uh, metal mask? Ooh, that's a good idea. Where would I find one? Well, probably not at insertcoinclothing.com oh. because while they do have a great selection of video game inspired uh, t-shirts and other clothing yeah. they don't currently sell featureless metal masks well I don't know I haven't, I haven't checked it recently let me check I mean there was a, um, some of the characters in Death Stranding had metal masks yeah yeah, they had masks. Here we go. I'm checking the new arrival section. Yeah. What do we got? Oh, we got some Persona 4 jackets. They're pretty cool. Some Yakuza jackets. They're they're really good. Ah. Oh. There's some good Overwatch ones as well. There's a really nice Diva jacket. Stuff, God of War, but mm, I'm not going to bother though because there aren't any featureless masks actually. Hot damn, look at this Gran Turismo t-shirt. Okay, I'm back in. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out. There's brand new uh, Persona 4 Golden stuff has come Ooh, in lovely. as well. A really nice sort of zip-up track jacket and a hoodie. So yeah, if you wanted to wear any of that while you were being 
a phantom. I imagine that would add a sort of like video gamey flair to your illegal activities. Yeah, I imagine people would see me and go, oh no, a phantom. But wait, they're so fashionable because it looks like this phantom has been to insert coin, which you, listener, should also do. You owe it to yourself if you like video games check out some of these designs because they really are very rad and if you visit insertcoinclothing.com and use the code strife of riley you'll remember that the family in this film surname is riley uh pete and karen and brian are all have the surname riley strife of riley you will get 10 percent off online orders codes are not applicable on charity items bundles gift cards postage and some products at launch codes cannot be combined with other deals or promotions and are valid until the end of 2023 Andy, I am struggling to put this movie's plot together. It doesn't seem to make any sense. I feel like all the pieces are all over the place. Mm, It feels to me like you perhaps need more experience in puzzles, Luke. You seem to be a puzzle neophyte. You can't figure out the riddles of the Phantom. No, I can't. I can't. What am I to do? Well, Luke, what I will say to you is it's probably not your fault because they don't make any kind of logical sense. But if you did want to try and train up that part of your brain, then why not check out the products of one of our other sponsors this week? That's right, it's Ravensburger Jigsaw Puzzles. That's right, Ravensburger's premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. And I have to say, having watched Phantom of the Megaplex, I really feel like doing a puzzle would be genuinely soothing. It would all make sense, all the pieces would be there, it would be high quality, polished. It would fit together in a way that makes sense. It would fit together in a way that makes sense, and crucially, it would be enjoyable. Regardless of your preferences or skill level, you'll find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery themes and piece counts available. Start small and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces. That's the Phantom of the Megaplex of (laughs) jigsaw puzzles for you to work on there. Are you up for the challenge? Shop Ravensburger on Amazon today. Now, Luke, if I've been injured in a phantom-related incident at work... Uh, Not again. Yeah, say, for example, a big wind machine blew me into the sky like Team Rocket, and I I landed in a field... Can happen. uh, ...some half a mile away from my place of work. Can happen. Um, What do do I do about seeing a medical professional if I'm, say, in the United States of America? You're in the United States of America? Why didn't you say so? I mean, the fan did blow me very Very far. Very far, across the entire Atlantic Ocean. Somewhere in New Jersey, I think? The first thing to do... walk until you see a signpost or a shop find a newspaper and if you're in the United States of America then you should do the same thing that everyone in the United States of America should consider doing and that is downloading the ZocDoc app because ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online and we're talking about top rated patient reviewed doctors who take your insurance you can filter for that specifically which is super useful and make sure they're located near you they treat almost any condition that you're searching for okay so i just need to find some sort of landmark that'll tell me where i am yep um oh i see mothman i must be in west virginia yeah that's in the united states of america i mean don't bother trying to find a doctor because mothman is gonna kill and eat you ah okay so like there's no fix for that but if I were to, if I were to survive I could find a no, doctor who could treat don't, no. being mauled you, by Mothman you don't consider it you won't don't consider okay don't get my hopes you up you won't that's fine that's fine so I will go to ZocDoc.com slash MCC and I'll download the ZocDoc app for free then I'll find and book a top rated doctor today as long as I survive Mothman's terrible clause you won't that's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash M-C-C I might ZocDoc.com slash M-C-C. He will take you apart at the joint, Sandy. <laughs> so, escaping the crowd, 
Pete finds Brian and Karen. Yeah. Who say that they've ID'd the Phantom. That's right. Guess who it is? Yes, guess who it is? It's Mel. It's Mel, the projectionist. Based on nothing, they've decided it's Mel. Remember what he said about being underappreciated? I, I honestly don't remember him saying that, but I'll take your word for it, kids. Well, he was complaining about the automation earlier. Oh, on. yeah, that's right. That's right. And that was, tri- that was treated as sort of like anti-hard work uh, griping, just like the union stuff. Well, so. you know, being a projectionist, it's a, it's a dying art. Yeah. Uh, so they lead Pete into uh, one of the screens. They say that they were looking for Merle yeah. when they found this peculiar video looping in one of the screenings. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a, a trailer and it says mischief. Madness, mayhem, midnight mayhem. It started as a movie, but now it's real. And then a devil <laughs> laughs and then shatters. It's like it's like the inside of a fractured mind. Yeah, it's bizarre. And that's it. It's a 10 second trailer for nothing. It's just looping over and over again. Yeah. Uh, the, the, kids, the kids reckon that Merle is the only one tech savvy enough to have put this together. To have rigged up something like this. Mist. Night. Mayhem. Midnight mayhem. It started as a movie, but now <laughs> This thing, this trailer, it's been running over and over in here. Who else but Merle could rig up something like this? Who else but him could do any of it? Brian says the lights and protectors are tied to the computers up there. Yeah, but Merle's not gonna risk his job to do something stupid like this. He's been here forever. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he finally wants to be appreciated and recognized. Brian thinks that maybe Merle just wants to be recognised and appreciated like Willie Gaines in The Last Woodcarver. Why are they doing this with the fake films? It means nothing. This is the thing they settled on. They were going, maybe mum corrects everyone's grammar. Maybe, maybe something, the other thing. But, but they stuck with the, with the movie titles because they think it's cute. But when you say, like, sometimes it could, it, like, if, if the film that you're referencing is clearly enough of a reference to an existing film that you can sort of draw... The analogy that they're, you can figure out what they're trying to get at. But just like Willie Gaines in The Last Woodcarver, that doesn't mean, The Last Woodcarver doesn't suggest to me unappreciated. Like, they could have done, they could have done a parody of, um, what's the one with Michael Douglas where he stops his car? Falling, falling down. Falling yeah, down, yeah, yeah. yeah, falling down. They could have, they could have called it like tumbling down. Yeah. Just like. Or, I mean, just reference falling down. You're allowed to reference movies in movies. Yeah, I don't know. The Last Woodcarver. I w- oh. Also, there's loads of woodcarvers still. <laughs> What's that film about? Well, it's post-apocalyptic. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's only right, one fine. A virus right, fine. has r- ripped through the woodcarver community. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very specific yeah. woodcarver disease. A wood termite has mutated and it now, yeah. now can and get now it carves human... Pe- it carves people. Oh, oh okay. A big term- yeah, a big termite. I'm just saying, people. like, the idea of a person with, like, woodworm is... That's actual really, horror movie really fodder. TM, 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 do not steal. Yeah. Um, Pete, think, Pete thinks it wouldn't hurt to check out Merle. So they go to the projection gallery. Merle is there. What are you doing over there, Phantom? Says Brian. Confrontationally. He says he's actually working his buns off. Yeah. Trying to shut the trailer down. He's, he's trying, trying to, to shut this, this terrible trailer down. Yeah. For some reason, it's beyond the wit of man, or at least beyond the wit of Merle, to stop this devil trailer yeah. playing. He can't figure out how it got onto the reels. And he can't figure out how it... This is a man, a professional projectionist. Unplug it, Merle. Yeah. How, I mean, how, that would work. How, put, a, put a book in front of the lens. <laughs> that would stop it. Hit it. Hit it with a hammer. <laughs> I, there's, there's so many ways to stop this, Merle. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, he can't stop this this shattering devil but playing. So Brian uh, accuses Merle of manufacturing this problem just so mm. that he can fix it and save the day. Yes. But he's interrupted by his sister Karen pointing down through the little glass window in the projection room, down to the theatre, where, oh, look, the Phantom is visible. Yeah, in his robes. The Phantom, he's down there in his crushed velvet robes. Doing something with pipes. He's moving some big bits of duct tubing around, just in a terrifying way. The pipes, they run down there to try and catch him. It turns out the pipes are a fog machine and the theatre is filling with fog. What I think is good about this is that they're all up in the projection suite. Please tell me. I really want to hear what's good about it. They're up in the projection suite and and they all look out the window and they're like, hey, there's that mysterious masked and hooded figure who's been messing everything up. Let's go down and get him. And Merle just watches the kids go. Mm -hmm. It's like, good luck to him. It's like, well, yeah, it's not my job. (laughs) Also, the kid just called him a phantom to his face. Yeah, that's true. But there's there's like an actual, actual terrifying stranger down there. Yeah, I'd be like, man, looks like you've got a real problem there, kid. <laughs> it does not fall under the remit of yeah. projectionist. I'd, I'd help you, but I'm too much of a phantom. Yeah. yeah, I'd help you, but the union says I don't have to. Yeah. I'm taking one of my breaks. Yeah, I'm taking one of my union-mandated breaks. The music sort of does a sinister sting. Mm. Organised labour. Walt Disney shakes his head from beyond the grave. Walt Disney in hell shakes his head. Furious. So yeah, the Phantom has rigged a smoke machine. Yeah, Pete turns it off. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> Thereby outfoxing the Phantom. <laughs> Pete says, okay, siblings, look, maybe with all your movie knowledge, you both know more than I do. How are we going to find out who the Phantom really is? And Brian thinks before giving the most decom answer to a question possible Hell when he yes. says, is anybody around this place hooked up to the internet? Nice. Nice. Yeah, nothing seen of George and Mum trying to get their car fixed. She thinks the kids are dead. Um, We cut to the kids and Brian and Karen and Pete. They're all walking around and talking. Brian explains that everything the Phantom has done tonight has had to do with the plot of the movie showing. It hasn't, but whatever. If they want to know what's going to happen in the premiere of Midnight Mayhem, they're going to need to find out the plot of Midnight Mayhem on the internet. But Pete's like, the plot is a closely guarded secret. Karen scoffs, isn't he cute when he's naive? Um, ever heard of spoiler sites on the internet, says Brian. Every, Holly- every-, every secret Hollywood has, these guys know. Yeah. Says Brian. They go in. Of yeah. early noughties movie bloggers. Of ain't it cool news. Yeah. <laughs> so they go into Sean's office to use his internet computer. He's not there. Or is he? His corpse is tied and gagged on the back of the door. Like Henry Winkler in Scream. So, so, so it's important to set the scene here. They creep into the office. There's a, they find it empty. There is a creaking sound behind them. They spin to see the door swing shut. Sean is blindfolded, handcuffed, gagged with duct tape, hanging yeah. by his suit from the back of the door. Yeah. They scream, obviously. Because, yeah, because there's no way he's alive. Yeah, this is terrifying. So Sean is actually alive. He got jumped and tied up again. Uh, meanwhile, Brian is on the sweet-looking Midnight Mayhem website. It's got a dinosaur or JPEG on it. Yeah, it looks sweet as hell. Well, he's presumably on a on a sort of on, on an illegal movie blog, an illegal movie spoiler blog. Yeah, that's leaking the illegal spoilers. Yeah, Lacey runs in to tell them that Niedermeyer's limo is on the approach. Sean says that we have to act like everything's perfect. The doors swing open, and in come the Hollywood phonies. 
Mr. Mr. Niedermeyer is dressed like a Victorian undertaker for some reason. (laughs) We meet Mr. Tyler Jessamine, who is Morris from 24, if you watched 24. Mm. Um, Sean is honoured to to meet these celebs, as he would be because he's scum and they're celebs. He gets a crushing handshake from Mr. Tyler Jessamine. Um, Sean says, we could not possibly have it under more, more under control. Yeah. And then a balloon ribbon drops down into frame. Racy Lacey, whose thing is moving fast before anyone can act, grabs it and pulls it. And oh no, brings the whole balloon drop down on the assembled Hollywood stars. Yes. Except they're all water balloons. It turns out that somehow the Phantom got all the balloons down, filled them with water, and then replaced them in the ceiling. Yep. He simply did that. Simply did that easy task. Simply did that in a crowded, busy multiplex. (laughs) Simply got 50 or 60 helium balloons down from the ceiling, let out all the helium, filled them with water, got them back into the ceiling somehow, even though they're now full of heavy water instead of helium. A pulley system? You would need several men. Yeah. Um, Just to, like... so. This is all happening in the lobby of the multiplex. So imagine you walk into the lobby of a multiplex and look up, and yeah. this is where the balloon drop happens. So the idea yeah. that the old switcheroo for helium to water can happen here is mind-boggling. It's, impo- it's impossible, but yeah. let's not dwell on that. No. We cut to Pete reading movie spoilers. Yes. At the big climax of Midnight Mayhem, the mayhem monster traps a bunch of kids in the school auditorium. Then starts growing so big, he completely sucks the air out of the place. Okay. Says Brian. Okay. Let's go warn Pete that something like this will happen. Okay. Okay. A. A. A, I would 100% watch Midnight Mayhem. Let's say the, the plot <laughs> okay. again is uh, the Mayhem monster traps a bunch of kids in the school auditorium. Already good. Yeah. But then starts growing so big, he completely sucks the air out of the place. This is like a, a five-year-old story that they tell. I've, yeah. I wrote a story, Uncle Andrew. D- oh, oh, what I'd, is it? I'd love to hear it. It's Phantom what? of the Megaplex. <laughs> oh, I don't and know then if the this monster is good. Grows... Oh, Eisner's bought it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Eisner was pressed against the window and he heard every word. <laughs> Eisner sprints in, snatches it out of your nephew's hand. No! Get back here, Eisner! Air it! Too late. Air it, quick! You lose, you lose. It's on the Disney Channel. <laughs> and this bit's gold. He starts growing so big, he completely sucks the air out of the place. And then he grows so big, he... He completely the, uh, sucks... All the, he all drinks the all the air. He, he breathes in all the air and there's no air for anyone else to breathe the air. What do you mean? <laughs> what? Okay. He grows so big. All right, no more refined sugar for you. He grows so big, he completely sucks the air out of the place. I don't know what that means. It must, like, is it an airtight school <laughs> an auditorium? Airtight auditorium. <laughs> what does that mean? It, okay, Godzilla is in an airtight auditorium. He sucks well, but, in... I mean, the radiation damage these kids would be taking. <laughs> yeah, is... yeah, they're dead long term, for sure. <laughs> Short term, I guess. Godzilla draws in a breath. To do his atomic breath weapon. Sure. Um, I guess that air leaves the room. Yeah. And But I mean, there's still air coming in from could, outside could, unless it's an airtight auditorium. Could there be a monster so big that when it breathes, it sucks all the air out of Earth? Uh, I, I, I mean... Andy's pinching his nose. <laughs> if it, were, it would have to be some kind of mayhem monster, I think. Yeah. 
and it's, it would have to start growing so big. I mean, this this is where we we start to kind of grasp the edges of the scale of the cinematic ambition of Mr. Tyler <laughs> Jessamine, <laughs> who again is an assholeish looking guy in a grey sharkskin coat. Yeah. So um, Brian says, "You know that the Phantom's going to try something like it. Going to try growing <laughs> so big. He sucks. Sorry, all the air sorry, out. but sorry, Brian. The Phantom's going to try something like growing so big. He sucks the air out of the place. Completely sucks the air out. Completely of the place. sucks. Okay, so let's warn Pete that something like this will happen. On the way out, Karen, uh, who is in a point-and-click adventure, spots a small key on the floor. Ooh, she picks it up. Back in the lobby. Uh oh, more drama." It turns out the extremely expensive inflatable mayhem monster has been removed from the roof. Um, Tori Hicks, the sort of PR woman, is like, hey, look, are we doing this premiere or what? Yeah. And Niedermeyer is like, okay, open those doors now, Sean, ready or not. But nightmare. Outside, Movie Mason has gotten onto the red carpet. <laughs> Somehow, Movie Mason is loose. Movie Mason normally slipped his bonds. Normally, normally he merely bothers cinema goers, but now he's bothering celebrities because he's on the red carpet. He's the only person on the red carpet. There are loads of yeah. people, loads of photographers outside the multiplex, and he's there singing twee songs about the golden age of Hollywood to all he's the photographers. He's singing Hooray for Hollywood. Yeah, he's singing... The, the old standard. He's singing... Let's... You may be homely in your neighbourhood, but if you think that you can Guys be an actor, see Mr. Factor, you know, all that Here's stuff. Something, something. Let's hear a little bit. Hooray for Hollywood. That phony, super coney Hollywood. They come from Chillicothe and Paducahs with their bazookas to get their name up in lights. This is elder abuse, making Mickey Rooney do this at this time of his life. It, okay, at this point, I want to sort of sidebar because I find the fawning reverence for old Hollywood yeah. bizarre enough anyway. It's so weird in this movie. So have you, try, so have you tried to watch a film from the 1940s? I, <laughs> They're all, without exception, <laughs> all garbage. Mick, I, the, th the thing that... The thing that I find weird about it, okay, Mickey Rooney in real life. Yeah, this is tr this is true. This is from Judy Garland's autobiography. Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland were forced by the movie studios that owned them yeah. to take pet pills to make them work seventy two hours in a row. Uh -huh. Then they were taken to a studio hospital and given sleeping pills to knock them out. Woken up four hours later to take more pet pills and do another seventy two hour stretch. Judy Garland was kept on a diet of chicken soup, black coffee, and cigarettes, and pills. And now we Hooray for Hollywood. Hollywood. And now we've got actual Mickey Rooney, who this happened to. Yeah. 80 years old, can't sing or really move. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. You can I mean, in the clip you just heard, you can hear the strained quality of the voice of this 80-year-old man being, I assume, cattle prodded through this song and dance number. <laughs> in a Disney Channel original movie when he should be at home surrounded by his loved ones. <laughs> it's, it's Again, probably on pet pills. Yeah, it's um it's it's just bizarre. It's it's nuts. And and also like for this to be the vehicle to express your love for the golden age of Hollywood. You know, like Phantom of the Megaplex. Yeah. It, you know, like oh, I don't know. It's it's like this film is but they can't even mention real films <laughs> no like and this also this isn't a film it's a tv 
movie. Yeah, yeah this isn't going in the cinema. This famously no. isn't going it's, to be in the cinema. It's deliberately isn't going, it's being broadcast on television. There's an argument to say TV movies were really hurting the cinema industry. This, it goes on for so long and it's it's just, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Um. Madison Ashley Metz steps out of her limo. It turns out she is friends with Movie Mason. Yeah. Um, Sean came out to berate Movie Mason for being old and singing <laughs> near his celebrities, but he is he's saved by this uh, this movie star. Turns out that she grew up in this in this town. Um, she practically grew up in this theater, and Movie Mason was the one who encouraged her to become an actress. And now he is her escort for the evening. Well, if you will t- take the advice of the man who lives in the basement of the local cinema, you should be an actress. You, be an, you got the you got the X factor. Please let me out of this basement. Call Mr. Factor. <laughs> He'd make a monkey look good. <laughs> so, the premiere's in full swing. Sean has been uh, embarrassed in front of uh, Ashley, Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison Metz. Um, meanwhile, the three siblings sprint up to the roof. Yeah, so they they can't find the roof key. Karen is like, is it this key I picked up? Pete says yes. So they run up to the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, they open the hatch. They go out and start investigating. The dinosaur balloon is gone. Um, we see the phantom sort of swoosh. He's wearing a mask. This is the first time we see he's wearing a sort of featureless silver mask. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of creepy. Kind of yeah, effectively creepy yeah. looking. Pete tells the brother and sister that uh, the three of them make an impressive team. Uh, they all hug. And then the phantom jumps on them, covers them in a big sheet, ties them up, laughs and runs off. We've been phantomized, says Brian. Ah, uh, come here. Also, we should mention that um, the kids, uh, Mum and George, have made their way into the cinema yes. as well. So they're in play now as yes. well. So they they've arrived. They're tr- they're just trying to find their children. Uh, yeah, they've in- they've seen Smart House Power duo Katie Segal and Lavar Burton. This, um, but they haven't seen their own kids. I, this is the only genuinely good thing in this film, I think. The Smart House reference. The, yeah, the the fact that they say, yeah, we've seen Katie Segal and Lavar Burton, but we can't find a yeah, the Smart House director and star. Like yeah. what a what a what a, a name drop! What a it. what a, a sudden moment of remembering Smart House. Ah, uh, that was good, wasn't it? Smart House was good. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Mum finds Hillary Honey and says, "Hey, Hillary Honey, where are my children?" Hillary Honey has no idea. She's like, "Oh, I don't know." So up on the roof, yep. the kids are blindly shuffling across the rooftop, which is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, very bad idea. They shuffle over to a valve. Uh, they sort of fall over. Yep. Um, we'll come back to that, I suppose. In the auditorium, everyone takes their seats. Uh, Tyler Jessamon takes to the stage with a microphone. Let the mayhem begin, he says. And in the balcony, the mayhem monster balloon starts inflating and making growling sounds. Yeah, there's a there's a sort of uh, a, a inexplicable growling noise, bearing in mind what's happening is an inflatable dinosaur 
It's kind yeah. of it's so Being like inflated. this this sort of star studded premiere actually is not even filling this one screen because it's got a downstairs yeah, the balcony up, is, yeah, it's got, is free. It's got a balcony that they haven't put anyone in, and it, the balcony is filling up with inflatable T Rex basically, and it sort yeah. of flops down onto the crowd and starts killing everyone. <laughs> well, like it's it sort of flops onto them, obviously harmlessly because it's just an inflatable T Rex. But the director sort of goes in its mouth a it's bit. It's caught in its terrible jaws. And it's going, ah, everyone is screaming for absolutely no reason. Yeah. Like uh, the jaw locks around Tyler Jessamine, the claws sort of kill um, <laughs> the, son, the son-in-law who's going to be the new manager. Um, up on the roof, the kids are undoing the rope that they're tied with by sort of rubbing it against a valve somehow. Fine. Fine, sure, you know, whatever. Whatever. Back in the back in the theatre, an usher is trying to evacuate everyone, but from behind a wall bursts an equally massive inflatable King Kong. <laughs> they run in another direction, but oh yeah, no, a, an equally massive inflatable, what looks to pig, me like a skinless Shrek kind of yeah, bursts a, out. There's a sort of ape, there's a pig, there's all these inflate. Where did these inflatables come from? Don't know. Don't know, not important. Uh, so the, the kids who have freed themselves, uh, they, they go up to the balcony... Stairs. Well, movie Mason is there. Mm. Uh, he says that they need the sword from the stone because there's nothing else sharp in this cinema, I guess, because of movie Mason. <laughs> um, so they go and they go and get that. Uh, and then Pete jumps from the balcony with the sword, pierces the monster balloon. It deflates and everyone cheers. So, yeah, Pete, like yeah. what you'd think you would do if you're Pete is to go into the bottom of the auditorium where the dinosaur is pierce the big inflatable ass of skinless shrek on the way walk through that and then deflate the big dinosaur but he doesn't he he, he risks his life jumping off the balcony he launches himself off the balcony yeah it's all crossed flying crossbody yeah he bravely stabs it over and over again in the spine yeah, uh, and it sort of deflates onto the crowd. That's way more dangerous to have a very heavy. Yeah, suddenly collapse on everyone. Yeah, like imagine, imagine being trapped underneath a bouncy castle that was like deflating. Like that's you know yeah. that kind of like really thick canvasy sort. That's of when you suffocate. Material. Get rid of the of the ape blocking the door. Yeah, get everyone out and then burst the. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The phantom opens the curtain and sees what's going on. There's, There's an organ, organ sting when this happens. It's like yeah. Da, 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 da. Brian sees what's happening and points and the Phantom flees. Behind the screen in silhouette, the Phantom and Pete start fighting. They're having this big sort of dramatic fight. The Phantom is climbing up the side, sort of punching and kicking Pete. All the audience are just sort of watching this happen as this 17-year-old boy <laughs> is getting his ass kicked getting behind the screen. by a masked attacker. They're like swinging on ropes and things. And everyone's like, oh, I hope Pete wins. <laughs> oh, he didn't. <laughs> Never mind. Why won't anyone help? Pete is being beaten to death. <laughs> they crash through the screen. Uh, Pete has somehow got the upper hand on the Phantom and then with incredible import he unmasks the Phantom and we find out (gasps) it's Sean what? (laughs) Let's hear Sean explain why he did this to Niedermeyer Not only are you fired and banned from these premises for life but I'll ensure that you never again work in any theatre in any city in this state is that clear, Big Noel? MacGibbon. MacGibbon! For once in your life, get it right! My name is Ding Sean MacGibbon. And I did all of this tonight just so you would finally notice me. But you don't care. You've never cared. <laughs> you think La Monica will be a better GM than I will? So be it. 
but don't come crying to me when you find out that you're wrong. Okay, you just heard Sean explain why he did this. It does not explain how he did this. Anything he did. Sh- okay, shall we? Can we? Can we? Should we wrap up the film? Yeah, and then come back to this. All right, fine. Um, so obviously Sean is fired. Uh, he's also banned um, from working in this state. I guess he did all this so that Niedermeyer would finally notice him. Um, Pete realizes that he should lighten up in life a little. He got a grim vision of his future where if he continues to work in the cinema, he'll become a phantom. <laughs> Tyler Jessamine pitches a phantom of the Megaplex film to Sean. So things worked out pretty well for Sean, despite yeah, right. the the only reason he's not in jail for killing three kids is they hopped the correct way on a rooftop. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's a movie producer now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Niedermeyer gives uh, Pete some cash to go on a date because uh, he offers he actually offers uh, Pete uh, Sean's job because Sean's been fired but Pete he says actually you know what I just want the rest of the night off so Niedermeyer gives him some cash to go on a date yeah. uh, he says here's here's some money because you saved my evening even though he really didn't the Phantom's plan went off like a charm because yeah all of those Hollywood celebrities were like splattered with water and then crushed under a T-Rex that really happened so yeah I don't know. Um, George proposes to the mum with a bunch of shitty plant metaphors. He doesn't have a ring, but Movie Mason, for some reason, has an enormous diamond ring on him. I have props around for emergencies, he says. Um, George says, will you marry me? The entire auditorium, including Mickey Rooney, about two feet away from her face, is sort of nodding and mouthing yes at this woman. And she sort of like goes, yeah, Yeah, okay. Yeah. There was like, whoa, hooray for Hollywood. And the gang goes into the premiere to watch the film again. Yep. As he as he goes in, Movie Mason grabs Brian by the shoulders and says, "The Phantom of the Megaplex is nothing compared to the power of the werewolf of the Megaplex." And then a wolf howls on the movie ends. <laughs> what? Okay. Needless to say, the film is bad. <laughs> Needless what, to say, what I want to do is just yes. to try and talk through. All I want to do. All I want to do. I okay. Now we know that Sean McGibbon, yes, is the Phantom. I want yes. to talk through the timeline of events from his point of view. I would love nothing more. From the beginning of the film. So let's try and piece this together. I'm scrolling all the way back up to the top of my Google Doc. Well, okay, for a start, this is all a response to him getting passed over for the promotion. Yes, which happens approximately sort of four hours before this. I would say, yeah, I would say four hours before this all happens is when he finds out. Yes. There's enough time for Pete to go home, have a bowl of cereal, and come back to the cinema. Yeah. So all that was his planning phase. Yeah. With like no prior warning, no, he had to plan this entire operation in about four hours, and I mean, this required a lot of equipment. Uh, presumably, during that four hours was when he went out and bought the cloak and the mask. Um, <laughs> yep. So, what's the what's the first thing that goes wrong? It's the candy machine. The candy machine. How again? <laughs> <laughs> again, not entirely okay. sure. It is attributed to the phantom. The phantom weakens weakens the the, the structural latches on the on the okay all right so yes. well well to be fair to sean he could have done that in the four hour gap when the shift shifts were changing right yeah like maybe the cinema was closed for those hours and then it opens again in the afternoon so let's now yeah. with the balloons we're told that sean did set up the balloons and that's the first time we hear the spooky laugh so it is possible that he filled all those balloons with water the first time he didn't but, replace them but that would have been if I'm right, before he got the bad news. Is that right? 
Yes, I'm not sure. Sh- yes. So he would have filled them with water, then got the bad news, and then been like, well, then I'm glad I filled them with water yeah. to humiliate Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay, so that all checks out. Yeah, so that makes perfect sense. Perfect good sense. Uh, okay, yeah. after the popcorn goes wrong, what's the next thing? Um, the queue's being enormous, but that's just because Movie Mason... Ah, yes, but Sean... So Sean gives Movie Mason the job. Yeah, that's true. Because he's too big... Hang on, wait a minute. Did Sean make... What are the kids' names? Craig and Randy are sick and Jenna is simply lost in the ozone. Yeah. This, did he lose Jenna in the ozone? Did he poison Craig and Randy? We have to assume Craig and Randy are dead. We have to assume, yes. Uh, okay, so... Smash cut to Craig and Randy's house, blood spattered up the walls. <laughs> um, okay, so then the next thing that we know the Phantom does is, well, he fires Movie Mason, which is an odd thing to do because Movie Mason is ruining things. Is making things worse. He's making things yeah. worse. So it's weird that then Sean fires him. Unless mm. he's deliberately trying to throw the scent off of himself by establishing a motive for Movie Mason. Yes. That- okay, so the, next, so the next thing that happens yeah. is the infinite popcorn. Now. Now. Well, well, the infinite popcorn, and if I'm right, by this point, Sean has disappeared. Yes. So the Phantom, it can't be Sean, it has to be the Phantom. Yeah has to get to the popcorn machine, make it do infinite popcorn. Simply, simply make it do, simply turn it to this setting that makes it do infinite popcorn. Yeah, yeah. but but that's fine because he's only just getting started. Yeah. Um, but then immediately on the heels of that is glimpses of Genevieve going out of focus. Yes. Now that he has to do live. He can't have set that up beforehand, right? Yeah. So he's got to get up to the projection room and sort of just mess with the projector. Yeah. And he's got to do that without Merle seeing him. Yes. But but also he's in the corridors doing spooky laughs while Brian is moving between screens. Yes, because we see his eyes through the through the Farmer, Farmer Brown, Brown goes standy. to town yes. standy. Yeah. Yes. And then I think shortly after that, most troublingly, he he goes to like the basement. Yeah. Gags himself. Gags himself. Ties himself to a chair. Somehow. <laughs> no. But, uh, does he have to be like, he doesn't have to know, he doesn't, he doesn't actually have to have been knocked out, does he? He could be lying about that. He'll be lying about that. He does have to bind his hands with electrical tape behind his back. That's difficult. On a chair. That's, That's hard. He doesn't have a confidant. He doesn't have like, there's no one else who could be working it's not, with him, right? Yeah, it's not Scream. He's not got Matthew Lillard in the same outfit. Yeah running around the theater yeah um also at the same time he's also made it so that the lights go berserk in cut to black yes um so also a fog machine got delivered and he stole the fog machine and stashed it somewhere where though where yeah i'm where, pretty though? sure we see i'm pretty sure we see every room in this megaplex yeah um so yeah so uh, also also let's say for one minute that sean can bind himself with ropes and gag himself with duct tape sure why does he do it he doesn't know that pete and brian are going to come and find him or even that anyone's looking well they he knows that the velvet ropes are down there so someone will have to come and get those because they need them i mean it's a stretch yeah i think it's i think to be like ah of course my 
feckless team my employees will of, course, stuff. will of course realize oh no the velvet ropes we better go get them yeah he doesn't know when they're going to realize the velvet ropes aren't there and he's yeah. got an awful lot to do before this point i love it it's like uh like jigsaw in the first scream film he's just lying in a pool of fake blood yeah for like for like the entire movie i bet he sort of got himself all set up there like bound duct duct however he did it yeah. he sort of tied himself up and was like all right man I reckon I've got about 30 minutes of oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he sort of let 10 minutes go by and then he was like, oh, I sort of thought they'd be along by now. Yeah, I thought I trained them better than this. Legs have gone dead. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to have to start sort of like rocking back and forth just to keep the blood flow going. But if I hear a noise of the door opening, I'll go limp so that when they find me, I can be groggy. So, so <laughs> they free him and it's, af- it's immediately after this that he drags the fan out in front of Cyclone Summer. I'm pretty sure it's at the exact same time that he's giving a pep talk outside the cinema, isn't it? He's like, <laughs> yeah, he rallies yeah. the troops. He's like, there's only one out of the premiere. We, we must find out who's doing this. Why, why set them all onto the task of trying to find out who's doing this? Trying to find the Phantom. Just dismiss it as yeah. r- rumour. I don't know. Um, but yeah, th- this, and yeah, at around this time, the fan... <laughs> So yeah, he must go, we've got to find this phantom. I am going to the wind machine. <laughs> Puts it up, gets it on the escalator, takes yeah. it upstairs. <laughs> Did, do you think he t- was transporting this stuff as Sean or as the phantom? Because you could probably pass, if you're, if you're like the cinema manager and anyone who sees you with a big industrial fan. Yeah, be like, absolutely. Yeah, I'm the manager. Absolutely. But a lot of this film hinges on the fact that no one can find Sean, so it all falls to Pete. Yeah. If if Sean was there, Sean would be the one being asked to go and, you know, find Merle, fix projectors, popcorn machine, etc., etc., etc. It's sort of important to the whole film that Pete is the most senior person yeah. in the cinema. Everyone runs, every single scene, somebody runs up to Pete and is like, Pete, oh my God, you won't believe what's happening now. So like, I, I don't think, I don't think Sean can be just sort of visible around. So it's at this point that he tries to put everyone onto Movie Mason as the phantom suspect. Good idea. He doesn't Good do idea. anything for a while. And then he vanishes again. Yeah. Uh, and, okay. Oh, yeah, this is the point where he has, re- he has cut together a new version of the Midnight Mayhem trailer. With a shattering devil. With a shattering devil. Not just that. that He's installed it on the computers up in the projection room. In a way that the professional projectionist can't figure out how it was done and can't figure out how to stop it. Yeah, he's he's outmaneuvered and outprogrammed fusty old Merle. Yeah. But then they like... Okay. I don't think this is footage from the film because... Every every description of Midnight Mayhem talks about the Mayhem monster and it's a sort of dinosaur and that's it, it, at no point does it mention this de- this devil character. <laughs> so is this original footage that Sean shot, but a devil during his lunch break, <laughs> edited it together. During his very busy lunch break. Um, yeah, I what think. What is the What is the film about? I think we have to we have to assume yes. So then he goes to the stairwell. And runs around because that's when he's yeah. next seen by Brian and Karen, right? Yeah, they sort of see him down there, and he's he's lo- everywhere he goes, he's laughing. Yeah, <laughs> even though he's presumably trying to evade notice. All yeah, the time. he sets off the fog machines for reasons that are opaque uh, to me. Yeah, probably to him. Yeah, 
Um, I guess he bought himself some time when he sort of accused movie Mason, potentially. So he fi- he filled the theatre that was showing his weird devil trailer with fog. Why? That it's again. It's yeah. That theatre is empty. Is there not a movie? Were they, were they not showing John Carpenter's The Fog? He must something? have. But he must have been planning to deploy that fog machine because he stashed the fog machine, and so yeah. he must have stashed it in that theatre because you can't you cannot move a fog machine. Well, it's probably they were getting a fog machine for a thing, and he was like, oh, "I bet I could use that on one of the films." And then he went through all the films, and none of them had fog in. He was like, "Oh bollocks, I can't." All right, fine, I'll just put it in this. Fine, I'll just theater. make my own trailer with a devil. <laughs> with a devil, we'll make that room all foggy. Yeah, that'll that'll te- that'll make that'll make Niedermeyer yeah. notice me. That'll get me the the manager's job. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, we haven't even yeah, we haven't even moved on to what he hopes to achieve with all this. So, 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 so here's the chain of events. The Phantom yeah. turns on the fog machine. Yes. The next thing that the kids do is turn off the fog machine and yeah, run to instantly. Sean's office because they need yes. his laptop, which means that Sean, as the Phantom, must turn on the fog machine, run as fast as he can to his office, and hang himself up <laughs> on the back of his door. <laughs> his own door. Handcuffed. Blindfolded. Not- gagged with duct tape again. <laughs> Sean is history's greatest escapologist, a Houdini-level performer. How is he? How has he done this? I don't know. Also, also, at some point during this, he had to go on the internet and look up the plot of Midnight yeah, he had Mayhem. To get the spoilers, and then delete <laughs> his browsing history so Brian didn't realise it had already been searched for. He, so yeah, they were they were hot on the heels of the Phantom. They couldn't. They didn't know where he was going. Yeah, but coincidentally, they went exactly where the Phantom went. Yeah, hang on. What? Surely Sean didn't think he would be found in his office. <laughs> no. Why would they go to his office? That's, yeah, that's such a big... He's like, ah, next the kids will look up the plot of Movie Mayhem, I imagine. And to that for that, they'll need the internet. And there's an internet computer in my there's office. There's only one <laughs> computer hooked up to the so internet I in this do. I think I'll hang myself from the back of my door. I think we have to consider the possibility that this was just some recreation time for, for Sean. <laughs> This is what he's into. He didn't expect to be interrupted. (laughs) Boy, all of this phantoming gets my motor running. Oh no, Sean, you've been tied up again. Oh yes. Thank heavens you kids are here to save me. (laughs) So in his panic, at this point, he drops the key on the floor. This is the key to the roof where he's already been and removed an enormous dinosaur. Yeah, and he's already on when the kids get up there. Yes. Somehow, even though it's locked. <laughs> the di- okay, so when you see- In his phantom costume. When you see the size of this dinosaur, how could he possibly have got up on the roof and like deflated it quickly? It's so it's so big that even deflated, you wouldn't be able to lift it. No, it would go like it would go on the back of a flatbed truck. Yeah. Farmer Brown would take it to town. It would weigh 150 kilo- kilograms easily. Yeah. This thing. Yeah. Uh, he not only gets it off the roof and downstairs, but then down, he, it through a narrow hatch and down some like attic stairs. But then he mo- maneuvers it to the balcony and rigs it to in- unseen, unseen by anyone. And rigs it to inflate, even though all the while this is happening, he's actually downstairs at the entrance to the megaplex, shaking the hand <laughs> of the director. This only works with an. I think we have to. We have to consider the possibility he has an accomplice that we don't see. One accomplice, no way. Ten accomplices, perhaps. 
a team of accomplices. Ten Darren Browns is what this takes. <laughs> Ten masters of misdirection. Yeah. All working in perfect concert. Oh, my God. A proper, an Ocean's Eleven heist crew. Yeah. You know what? This working is why like when Sean's busted, machine. he's like, uh, you got me, because he knows that the other nine Sean's are like <laughs> off in a hot air balloon escaping <laughs> with the money or something. Yeah. Stabbing Mr. <laughs> Needifier. <laughs> escaping with the promotion. It's 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 now you now you see it. Woody Harrelson is on a magical carousel. <laughs> There's so many things I don't understand. Why does he drop when he drops water all over the Hollywood phonies? He's there as well and gets all wet. <laughs> he gets water all on him, and yet the Phantom isn't wet later. Uh, so <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like movie Mason singing Hooray for Hollywood is part of his plan to ruin everyone's evening, though. <laughs> he unleashed movie Mason on the crowd. It's just the the scale at which this does not make sense yeah. is uh, s- it makes me so angry. It's, the backs- it's not even like, the backspace oh, lol, key lol, lol, is- I don't see how he could do it. It's like it's on order. everyone watching this would would turn to whoever they were with and go... But hang on. How on earth could he have done any of this? This oh man. I what I if I wasn't so if I wasn't so annoyed, I would love to like sit down with a pen and paper and like actually map out the timeline of events. Yeah. Just to see how many things there are that un- indisputably Sean and the Phantom are doing at the same time. And his end goal for this is, is to- I mean, all all that his actions are doing is proving that he's a bad cinema manager because he's allowing this phantom to run amok yeah so so presumably his goal is to not get caught and for everyone to believe that a phantom haunted the premiere how does this benefit sean is the only i mean is niedermeyer gonna go wow this phantom really ran amok sean we need all hands on deck and the, the way that the way that Niedermeyer perceives everything that's happening is as a failing of Sean for failing to control this phantom. It's also worth noting that Niedermeyer only sees about 30% of the phantom's mischief. The whole goal is to show Niedermeyer some mischief. Niedermeyer shows up right at the end of the film and sees some mischief. Yeah. The phantom has been like doing a load of bonkers BS just to ordinary people in the cinema. Why? And then at the end... But at the end of the film, he's like, oh, I, this was just to get you to notice me, Mr. Niedermeyer. Because Niedermeyer gets his name wrong a couple of times. Yeah. And it's that sort of like Frank Grimes thing where he just sort of snaps. But how would you, if your plan worked and you weren't unmasked, how would you be noticed? Yeah. I, I created a shadowy alter ego that I hoped to keep secret. Is he planning a so you would notice? Is me. he planning a bit where, as the Phantom, he runs behind the cinema screen, then pops out again like Mrs. Doubtfire as Sean and goes, "I'll oh, get the Phantom." Oh, get the Phantom, and then comes back with the cloak and says, yeah. "Damn, the ghost got away, but I got his cloak. We won't be having or- any more mischief from that <laughs> Phantom." To rapturous applause. Yeah, or, you know, quietly smothers Pete in a toilet cubicle. (laughs) Pete was the phantom. Yeah, I had to smother the phantom, it was Pete. I had to smother, I sadly had to smother him. Before I smothered him, he confessed it all. He confessed and said that I should be using a one manager. Oh my God, God, Sean, that's terrifying. I'm so sorry you had to smother Pete. Just one question, when Pete was telling you he was the phantom, did he explain how it was possible that he was the phantom? (laughs) 
Did he explain how he moved a 150-kilogram balloon <laughs> off the roof and into a cinema through a hatch that was no more than three feet wide? While he was doing many other things at the exact same moment with witnesses? Did he explain how he dragged a, a huge wind machine in front of an auditorium of 300 people looking directly at him? <laughs> oh, my oh. God. Hooray for Hollywood. Films can really teach you something. If you think about it, films I can tell you think stuff. about it, films are good. Films have taught me that The Phantom of the Megaflex sucks. It sucks so bad. Okay, thank you everyone who's been emailing the show. Um, Katie, you emailed the show. I'm addressing you now directly, Katie. <laughs> Katie, what on earth were you thinking? <laughs> thank you, Katie, for your email. On the subject of ready to run. Sorry, I genuinely had the to confidence go anywhere went back and forth trying to remember which was real. Not confidence yeah. of horses, ready to run. Katie says, as someone who's worked with horses her whole adult life, part of that time as an equine vet tech, let me put your mind at ease and say that no insurance company would pay out on that horse. A vet has to sign off on a horse being put down as being, quote, medically necessary, and clearly that vet would not, nor should they, since the horse wasn't even limping and went galloping off later that day. Yep. Katie, thank you also for providing some horse facts. Here are some horse facts, Andy. Okay, great. Horses cannot vomit. Okay. Horses can only breathe through their noses. They cannot physically breathe through their mouths. Oh, that's okay. That's that's tough on them, considering all the running they have to do. There you go. And most white horses are actually called grey. They start out brown or even black when they're born, gradually lightening as they age. Yeah, knew that one. No, you didn't. All right. <laughs> Did. Okay. Well, I've got another email I want to read you. This all one's right. from Brandon. Dear Andy and Luke, your talk about ordering the exact meal name from restaurants reminded me of this cafe I heard about in California called Cafe Gratitude. Take a look at this menu okay. and imagine the sheer shame of trying to buy brunch. <laughs> Right. So, Andy, I'm going to send you now a PDF of this menu, and I want you to tell me what you will be ordering. Okay, Andy, so that's with you now. Yep, got it. This is the menu for Cafe Gratitude in California. I want you to imagine that you are sat at the table. Uh-huh. The waiter comes over. Mm-hmm. Hi there, what can I get you this morning? Um, I'll just have the, uh, the avocado toast, please. Um... We have a lot of things with avocado in it. I'm sorry. Could you um which which one is that? Could you just uh um the the smashed avocado toast? Could you uh, um, could you point to it on I'm the I'm pointing I yeah, I'm just pointing at it here. Ah, yes. I see where you're pointing. Yeah. Yes, you're pointing just here under the smashed avocado toast, yeah. please. You're pointing $16.25. Jesus. And Andy, what would you say if across from you there's me and I go, "What did you have, Andy?" Um I had the smashed avocado toast, Luke. That's what I'm Where's that on the menu? Uh, Can you point uh, here to it, it is. I'm point- yeah, I'm pointing at it. Oh yeah, that looks good. I'll have the I am peaceful, please. Uh, Anything to drink, sir? Sixteen dollars twenty-five. I'm not peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> these things are these things are such good names. There's a watermelon poke starter called I am next level. Oh my god. There's a Mexican bowl called Yo Soy Mucho. That's that's a shame. There's a Pumfu Greek salad called I am cleansed. <laughs> I am activated, which is an open-faced curried chickpea salad sandwich. Yeah, I am yeah, for, activated for, 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 like almost the 20, for almost twenty dollars. I'm activated. <laughs> What's the most expensive thing on this menu? I think it might be the I am bound 
I am bountiful. No, it's the I am sensational crispy sober salad at twenty one American dollars. No, 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 twenty two dollars fifty for I am Kansha gratitude Japanese bowl. Well, there you go. There you go. I am whole. <laughs> it's a macrobiotic bowl. <laughs> I am going to McDonald's. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for e- who emailed the, the show. You can drop us a line if you want to let us know your thoughts or if you want to put together a detailed timeline of the activities. Please, I would love to read a detailed timeline of the Phantom's activities, yeah. and God knows I'm not doing it a myself. sort of Bay of Tapestry that kind of stretches yeah. around the room. Uh, yeah, you can do so by emailing us at momcantcookpod at gmail.com. You can also find Mom Can't Cook merch by going to momcantcookstore.com. And if you're thinking, I don't want to wait another fortnight for more Mum Can't Cook, well, the great news is you don't have to because you can join the swelling ranks of Mum Can't Cook Extra Helpings patrons. That's right. Go to patreon.com forward slash extra helpings to sign up. Uh, There's just one tier and you get bonus episodes of Mum Can't Cook in which Luke and I recap every episode of the Disney Channel original TV series. So weird. It's like X-Files for kids except half, less than half the length of an X-Files episode, <laughs> but it tries to cram in about twice as much story. Uh, and Eric Von Detten from Brink is in it. It's so. Yeah, it's a great time. They're really, really fun. Uh, yeah, so head head on over to, to sign up. And one more thing, uh, if you're looking for more spooky stuff this spooky yes, season, please. I am writing short horror stories on the internet on my Substack. If you go to uh-oh.substack.com, that's uh-oh.substack.com, uh, there is a new short horror story written by me every Sunday. Um, sign up at uh-oh.substack.com uh, to read that for free. They're really great. They're really fun. They're really creepy. Do not miss out. Oh, what are we doing next time? Luke, because as you know, it is October, yep. the spooky month, the spooky season. Yep. There is there is no other answer to your question than Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge. Oh my God, I cannot wait. How excited are you to get back into uh, the world of Marnie? God, I can't wait for more great Marnie content. Um, Such a good character who I enjoy all of the things that she says and does. Uh, Let's see what Disney Plus describes Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge as. Grandmother Aggie sweeps Marnie and Sophie off to Halloween Town to investigate a series of strange occurrences that seem to have stripped the community of its magic. But why? It isn't long before they discover that an angry warlock has taken Aggie's spellbook with evil intentions to turn every human into whatever costume they're wearing at midnight on Halloween. What? Oh, f- yeah, there's going to be so what? many monsters of varying <laughs> levels of attention to detail. Oh my God, also, it's going to be so choice. How choice is it that a fun movie called Halloween Town 2 has a subtitle Calabar's Revenge? Calabar's Revenge. Most- Let's something out of Clive Barker. Yeah. <laughs> so choice. It's so good. Oh my God. All right, join us for that. Yes, more Halloween Town. Andy, I... While I was finishing the podcast, the nine other Luke Westaways have made off with your promotion. <laughs> oh, man. In a hot air balloon. What do you say to that? Oh, man. I guess, yeah. Off they go. Woody Harrelson and, uh, yep. and Isla Fisher and the other one, the other the, the little Franco boy. <laughs> they've, all, they've all made off with my, with your promotion. With my promotion. Mr. Niedermeyer's going to notice me for sure. I guess I'll have to become a phantom. 